all right, this time it's for real. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's whatever. Don't don't feel like, you know, it's recording or anything. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Never it's not mind. like we live in a surveillance state or anything like that. Yeah, no, it's... it's sorry. No, oh, no. Um, yeah, it's, it's really weird because you know that you're being recorded all the time and yet when you're doing it to yourself intentionally, there's this level of anxiety that happens. <laughs> Well, the FBI can have all these like whack ass recordings of me that, you know, like that don't actually look good. Whereas the, the recordings that I take of myself, I want them to come out nice. Yeah, that's fair. And, and like just generally some good self-respect, I think. But also, I kind of think it'd be fun if at some point we all got like put on the same level, like Westworld style, where they, they gave us all the data. Like, they just released it publicly, like, for everyone. <laughs> Word. That would, it would be a lot. It would definitely be a lot. That's that's my main thing uh, with the whole, like, data surveillance situation is, like, I don't know that anyone is going to be able to sift through this much data, you know? It's, like, enough that I think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard to get through. Yeah. You know? And so if they were to do that, if they were to release all the data for everyone... I would probably like not even look. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, this, I, mean, I would be like, oh, this is. What, is there a TLDR to be had somewhere? <laughs> like, I don't know about this. Yeah, it would. It would probably only focus on people that were already like well known and famous. That's what everybody would probably. That's that's what they would sit down. That like politicians. But that's the thing is like I think uh, I think with all of this data, they have to like make AIs to then sift through it. Which is just yet another layer of like I, it just gets absurd. I, it goes back to the whole thing about like everything just gets more and more distance and more and more fake and more and more unreal. Yeah, more to the more. to a point until it stops, right? Until it's not anymore. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll see what happens at that point. But like, you know, it's it's clearly unsustainable. You know what I mean? Like you. You can't just keep getting more data and more AI and more like it, that's yeah. not how this works. That's not what <laughs> that's not what's happening in the world. Like more happens to a point and then it stops being more at some point, which is kind of part of the reason why I wanted to watch The Incredibles, because I like um, I'm really into this idea of like when everyone's super, then no one is like, how did <laughs> everything turn into nothing when I wasn't paying attention to it? I like. I remember watching that in 2004 and being like, oh my God, my whole shit like blew up. That was before I did, <laughs> well, before I was like into magic or any of this sort of stuff. I, was, I like heard about that, like everything and nothing are the same thing. What? How is this possible? <laughs> and it just like, I couldn't take it. I loved it. Yeah, this uh, this movie is actually, uh, for for people who do magic, this thing, this movie is like, I think incredibly relevant in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I know when I suggested it, y'all were like, The Incredibles? For real? I, no, no, no I, I was... I was that was just me. That was just <laughs> me. Okay. 100% Kurt was like, fuck yeah. Yeah, this is... Uh, uh, this is one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's definitely probably... I think it's my second favorite Pixar movie. And what's funny is the the director of it, Brad Bird, he made the other one, which is Ratatouille. I love Ratatouille. <laughs> um, Word. Okay. Yeah, but uh, but uh, 
The Incredibles is just a fucking awesome, awesome movie all around. Um, what? So actually, I'm curious, Rev, if uh, if you ended up hating it because you're you're so anti 3D animation. Um, no, I definitely didn't hate it. Uh, I still feel exactly the same way about Pixar films as I did before I watched it, but well, I wait, found that- it. Like, yeah, what is that way? Like, they're very difficult for me to connect to uh, in any way. <clears throat> um, what what bothers me about them is primarily how much it's just a lot of loud, a lot of action, and um, and the music. The music is always so, ver- so verbose that, like, I feel sensorily assaulted, but it's... I think it's because I, I think it's partly an ADHD thing. Like, I think there's something to the, like, I need to stay calm. If I get too stimulated, I start to feel fucking crazy. Um, but if I turned it down to like a reasonable volume and then just kind of like hung out on the couch and just like relaxed, it was really fun, right? Like if I just kind of like hung out with it in a different way, but, um, but yeah, they're, they're always just really difficult for me. Like I, I can't think of very, if you have anything that's hand-drawn or um, stop motion or whatever, it's like, I can look at it and connect to it more like it's real, but mm. there's actually some kind of disconnect. Kind of like how you were talking about uh, with Gene Wolfe on last episode, how you try to read it and it's just like, there's this metaphysical film that blocks you from it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like that's that's something, it's something like that. But um, But I found that by like three quarters of the way through, I had gotten into it. So it's, it's just this, like, it's so vastly different than reality or any other kind of medium that I feel like a, a close relation to. Um, and it's, it's literally always, except for when I was, when, when, like, when that stuff was new, I was, like, really loved it. But it didn't take very long before I was, like, sinking back into, like, digging out claymation movies and, and stop motion stuff and, like, kind of going the opposite direction. Um, but yeah, but overall, I definitely didn't hate it. I didn't feel like I wasted my time. I had fun and I thought there was some really cool. I'm, I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say, because like I said, the, the metaphysical film, I felt like I couldn't really look too deeply into it other than um, one thing that stood out to me was I thought it was really cool that syndrome is another word for a complex. And that dude was the military industrial complex. Like... Mm. I liked that a lot. Um, but beyond that, I didn't see much. So I'm, I'm basically just excited to hear what you guys have to say. Although I do want to say, Kurt, I think we are getting buzzed from the AC. Can you? It's funny. It could, well, what's funny is that I'm in the other room away from it. Oh, so... I, don't, I don't know what that is. Book it. It's fine. Uh, I can still turn it off and see if it makes a difference. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Uh, well, okay. I'll it's do not it coming anyway. from me, is it? Uh, I don't know. One way to find out is mute one by one. Like, if someone mutes. Okay, I just turned the AC off. Definitely, definitely not Zamboni. And it's not Kurt. Huh. All right, then. (laughs) Somebody's in trouble. It's the, uh, it's the, it's the, it's the AI recording everything. That's probably what it is. That's, that's the, uh. It's like when the FBI used to record phone calls and you could hear the click 
Yeah. <laughs> Here's the, the recorder turn on. I'm like, uh, all right. I think I think we're I being listened to. I'm I'm sure Zoom records every fucking thing that goes over their platform. I they have to. I'm sure that was like what got them funding was that they do this. Again, I mean, like who yeah. has the time to watch all of these goddamn videos? Like, I don't think this is you know, yeah, like no I, I think it's possible that they're doing it. I don't. I just don't yeah. think that it's possible to actually sift through this much data. I, well, no, and I, there isn't. I think, and I think that's what I was like. They have to build a fucking AI, and then they'll they'll reference it to some what some fucking like facial profile that they <laughs> that they found. Right, somewhere. right. There's that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I sort can. of. You're you're real quiet now, though. Oh, fucking heck. All right. I've, I've, yeah, you're more distant. Did you retreat into your volcano lair? And uh... um, I did not like that volcano lair. <laughs> I was like, yeah, like this is no. This, it was like the especially the, that moment where he like jumps onto the rock that's like floating. I was like, this motherfucker just died. Like, there's no way some lava didn't splash up on his face, and he's just like melting now. There's no way Mr. Incredible survived this. <laughs> I, th I think you, you burst into flames if you get yeah. like six feet from lava. Right. It's like <laughs> the whole thing, like that that whole lava scenario. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't like it. Uh, he, <laughs> I feel he, weird. He, I don't... <laughs> he he is a super super being who's like super strong. So maybe he can endure heat more than most people. I don't know. Sure. I yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll suspend disbelief for a moment. There's like a, there's a few times like Elastigirl shouldn't have made it. You know, like there was she she should have died like three times on the way up there. I was like, there's all these motherfuckers with assault rifles around, and none of them shot her. Like. <laughs> I don't know about this. <laughs> like you're you're storming the military industrial complex's volcano lair and they're and they're not shooting. Like mm, I don't think so. I don't think that's what's happening. See, it's an interesting <laughs> sort of uh sort of parallel. You get this like crossing of currents here because I feel like they how do you know what, which way to go? Because it's like the Bond villains can never shoot straight ever. Like they can't mm -hmm. they can't hit the broadside of a barn to save their life. But if it's military industrial complex guy, I mean, they're, you know, heartless, ruthless, trained killers who can definitely hit. So I feel like they just got caught in these two currents and they're like, we're going to go with the Bond villain because that's better for the main characters, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, like while it, was, while it was happening, I was like, okay, okay, Elastigirl can't die right now. I understand that we've, we've still got 45 minutes to go of film. So like, <laughs> we, we can't get rid of Elastigirl. So like, I understand what's happening here. But <laughs> at the to, same to be, time. To be fair, I think aren't their suits like all bulletproof too? And considering yeah, that right, she's right, basically right. living rubber that like, I don't know. It, uh, the idea yeah, there was the like whole a, scene where they were like trying the, to shoot Mr. the baby and set the baby on fire and shit like fire. that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it, that's always been a weird superpower. The whole like stretchy, stretchy, stretch thing. Um, well, so they, this is yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I didn't mean to no, 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 go ahead. No, but it's, no, like, it's fine to do that here. You're allowed to, yeah. All right, cool. Well, like the the whole I mean, so, the, you know, kind of 
one of the premises of a diverse band of a superheroes whenever you see that then it, you always see that the the superpower reflects this person's self or their their yeah. character in some way like who they are as a person right so elastigirl her job is because like we can also see that the incredibles is very strongly rooted in the nuclear family right mm. so like mm -hmm. we're not going to divorce any any of our philosophy or theory from the nuclear family in fact i feel like this should be subtitled like the incredibles a cautionary tale in heteronormativity like the whole thing <laughs> is so very much about this heteronormative nuclear unit so returning to elastigirl her job is to be flexible and not only to be flexible in the way that a mom has to bend over backwards in order to please and to take care of her family but she is also like real like this bridge called my back stuff <laughs> like she continues to use her body to like as it and it's ridiculous like so one time she turns into a boat so that they can uh, get to shore. And another time she like becomes half of the spaceship and like, yeah. and holds on to, and they like, everybody else is chilling inside a van and she's holding the van up with her like elastic, like it's ridiculous. The whole thing is ridiculous. Like the amount of weight that this lady has to put onto her literal back is <laughs> absurd. It's ridiculous, but like, again, returns us back to this, this idea of the nuclear family. And that's part of the reason why I love the Incredibles so much is because like, if you look at this moment in 2004, right, we got to remember that this is like the most American thing that ever happened, right? We can look at Mr. Incredible with his giant shoulders and his tiny legs and his blonde swoop, you know, like, and it's just total, all right, Kurt, I'm gonna, I'm gonna toss one to you. America. Fuck yeah. You already know. Like that's, <laughs> that's what this dude is doing full time, right? Like he just fuck yeah all over the place. And so there's this a truly American moment that's going on that is the nuclear family, that is the, the, the Incredibles and the whole, the whole situation. And so there's the, and there's this whole gender dynamic, which is, um, you know, you can look at it and be like, oh, this gender dynamic is, is super whack. And like, uh, it's, it's the same old uh, hegemonic gender play that we see here at, as always. But to my mind, it's like, you know, so 2004, this is like before Obama happened, even this is like, there, there's still a bunch of climbing that the empire has to do before we reach the peak and before it starts to crumble on the other side and we we might think about 2020 as our like peak moment where where things start to crumble but 2004 there's 16 years before that so there's still all this empire that still is going to build at that point so there's this whole in the incredibles 2004 it's like fuck yeah america right and then there's like they spend the first half of the film being like i don't know if interventionism and being world police is the right move like are we the bad guys are we causing more problems than we are solving how come how come the city never stays saved like maybe saving the world in this way isn't actually that effective they spend a whole hour on that at the top and then 
after this kind of like navel gazing, then they're like, ah, fuck it. We're going to kill some bad guys. And they go and spend an hour killing bad guys, you know, like, and at the end of it, Mr. Incredible, his body count is like 11 people. He's killed 11 people in the service of the greater good. And we just watch him like destroying people with his bare hands. <laughs> it's like, whoa, you know, like this children's film. Okay, sure. Whatever. Even the, even the kids at the end of the film have a body count. It's like ridiculous, right? <laughs> But it's very America. So, but, um, so to, to my mind, 2004 kids, we love dead kids. Right. Right. And killing kids, kids, killing people. Those are murderous children are my favorite kind. So (laughs) yeah. Right. I'm saying this is a, this is a blockbuster film. Let's, uh, let's get this money here. So, but as we, so as we think about this moment in 2004 and, um, and this kind of, like awareness that interventionism might not be the thing, but then never mind. We're just going to continue with the imperial play. Um, that feels like such an accurate representation of 2004 America that I think that it's just like it's, it's really worth noticing. Yeah, that's that's astute, sir. That's <laughs> I think that's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I I really like that they. Um, you know, the good guys, even when they did uh, to that point to further that, like, even when they did kind of say, you know what, fuck it, let's use our powers. Like, there's something about that, that wh- while, while you're saying what you're saying, and I, and I see that point, I also see it as like, <laughs> like when I was watching it, I didn't pick up that. I just picked up on like this. Yeah, man, this is what he is. And like, if he isn't just out there being what he is, he's gonna die inside. Like, that's just how life works. And so it's like this, um, you know, and I I guess that's kind of the broader point of it was all of them were unfulfilled until they were actually exercising their their strengths and whatnot. But um, so it's it's not exactly that profound that I saw saw that, but like, I I think it's really cool that they, even when they did decide to do that, the only way that he could was to essentially get like hired as a merc. Like there was no room for heroes left anymore. Um, so it's like, you want, you want to do some good? You want to do some good? Come on, come, come on in here and we, we, we got you. We got you. Big paycheck, big paycheck, company job, no capes, like specifically no capes, you know? And they said it was because mm-hmm. of danger, but like, you know, it's because no glory is actually in this job. Like, <laughs> um, mm, mm. I didn't put that together, but that's a, that's that's a nice one. That's a good look there. I wondered about that cape thing. I mean, I guess there's a hole in that because he. <laughs> that that's what really ultimately work. breaks yeah. down the the final villain. Um, yeah. I don't well, there, there's there's also there's also an aspect of this where it's like. Uh, they're they're also kind of an older way of doing things and that they're like uh so so it's interesting with like syndrome being the military industrial complex because he's basically like taking over like his his trajectory is to completely industrialize and take over everything that they used to do which which was like mm-hmm. much in a way much more like human and like localized and syndrome is just gonna like, okay, so we already we already put 
things in place to where they can no longer perform the duties they did. So instead, we're going to fill that in with like uh, robotics and other bullshit, more or less. So th- there's also there's also a take on it that is that as well, um, uh, which is sort of yeah I don't know like the the um, the thing that was possibly human human about any of this is like totally supplant supplanted and ruined, and the hope is that maybe we can come back, but with lessons learned. Um, maybe um yeah i don't know it's it's that's the points you're bringing up are, are really interesting to me and not something i would necessarily have considered in that way yeah same well i you know so thinking with syndrome as uh an avatar of the military industrial complex and then thinking also with mr incredible as team america <laughs> then and, and then we can also see that like uh, syndrome is incredible also, right? And so he looks up to and wants to be Mr. Incredible. And so we can see that syndrome is is kind of the logical end point of Mr. Incredible. Mr. Incredible's uh, like villain smashing ethos is taken to its logical conclusion with syndrome and so Mm -hmm. so i think that we've got something really strong here with like incredible is america fuck yeah and then uh syndrome is the military industrial complex it's like you've taken it a little too far and then we can also see there's there's a cautionary tale here right there's this idea that like um the and we you know like we've heard uh gordon white talking recently about the mean girls uh situation that's that is likely to happen with uh the in the american geopolitical moment right now right so there's this idea that um the americans have been the the strongest meanest baddest bitches in at the table for however long and then now we're we're at a geopolitical moment wherein uh, the Americans are pushing for, let's say, sanctions against Ukraine or whatever the next play is. And then uh, the the other girls who maybe have been like jockeying for status of for to be in the mean girls table start to be like, mm, you know what? I don't think we need this one anymore. Right. And so we we see this happening in The Incredibles when um, in, when Syndrome calls Mr. Incredible's bluff. He'd like, uh, Mr. Mr. Incredible is like, I'm going to kill Mirage, which is one of two black people in the film, right? So there's that, that makes her like, especially innocent, right? Um, and so he's gonna, he's gonna kill her, he's gonna crush her bones with his hands or with his arms, and it would be so easy to do. And Syndrome's like, fucking do it, dude. And he, uh, he calls that bluff and Mr. Incredible can't do it. And so, but then that, that's, uh, sort of like that power play that is played by syndrome slash the military industrial complex. This idea of like, I am willing to gamble on someone else's life because I know that I'm going to win. Then that is ultimately what uh, causes the, the, the rift in the syndrome empire and that, and gets, it earns him enemies. It earns him betrayal, which then leads to uh, his downfall. So I think that there's like, you know, if Mr. Incredible weren't such a dunce, then he would be able to look at that and be like, oh, maybe there's something, maybe there's medicine here for me, you know? 
Well, and it's also funny because he basically created his own worst enemy, right? Which is which is totally what that's the Absolutely. that's the Amer- the American process. And then um, uh, it's when he returns, when he's not willing to step beyond that moral line. That's what saves him, right? Like, well, because that's what you're talking about, right? He's like, he will, he doesn't discard. Like, he could go like scorched earth, like fuck it, like. But he he holds on to that moral center, and that is ultimately that earns him allies, and that's like, yeah, that that's that. You're right. That's where the medicine is. I, you know, it's it's the other thing that's really interesting about syndrome is that he is a, he is super powered because he's a fucking genius. He's a super genius. And, and, but for some reason, he doesn't recognize Word. that about himself. Right. Did he and, even go to college? Like, is that all no! just self taught? Like, what I the think, fuck? He, no, he had, he had rocket boots as a fucking kid. Like, yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> Seriously. Like, it's, eat, that, it's really... eat that, Elon. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's, it's really real, though. Like, that, that is, um, that's not respected as a superpower. Right. Yeah. Like this whole, and that, that feels again, like resonant with the American empire, right? Like, uh, the, the American empire speaks loudly and, and we can see that, uh, Mr. Incredible and his boy child dash their, their superpowers are strong athleticism. Like they're really good athletes. Both of them. They're both kind of like douchey and kind of stupid, but they, but they can run fast. And, um, like both, and there, like, there's this sense of like, well, sorry, Stackhouse, so Stackhouse and Taurus, both of them. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's like, you know, and, and there's this sense that like, uh, that, uh, bodily superiority equals moral superiority. Right. And so there's this whole like Aryan and race play that goes on there. Um, and so the, and so then syndrome who doesn't have the kind of like pretty privilege that they have right he's like got red hair for example so this this guy we're we're gonna we're gonna treat him like uh like he's poor and irish or something like this right we don't <laughs> we don't like this guy uh he's not like us you know but he's this super genius who didn't even go to school and he's got rocket boots and shit like this and who knows how he's paying for rocket fuel but um he's like you know that that uh stem prowess that technology engineering prowess is not given its uh its due and so and he's treated as an enemy as such right and so like maybe we'll outsource the stem stuff to brown people the filthy irish as it were (laughs) say again or the filthy irish as it were (laughs) Or the filthy, right, exactly, right. You know, the, the filthy othered ones. They can't actually put brown people in this film. So let's uh, let's make some white ones that are that, that we can code as brown. They're tan. But, right, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, the, uh, I thought that was, uh, I thought it was interesting that the first, like, um, oh, no, that's what I was going to say. The, the dude that does the voice of, uh syndrome it's tj miller right no it's not it's um it's oh what is it's not tj miller it's uh it was the guy he was in mall rats uh he's a skater 
he was a he's, it's that guy he was a skate skater um i can't yeah, remember I know, his goddamn name i know exactly who you mean though because there's only two people in the world that have that voice that i know yeah um <laughs> what's what's also funny too is that so um like the aesthetics of this movie all come out of the 60s like it's it's a really awesome like atomic age influence to like all of the design um and part of that is also like coming from like vintage bond films because it's a superhero movie but it's also more a bond movie in a lot of ways and um yeah you can just check the you can clock the uh music and notice that it's a bond film on the film yeah and the other thing is is that all the character designs are basically uh i forget what the name of the animation studio is they're the ones that used to they did all the santa claus and rudolph the reindeer uh red nose reindeer stuff those like all all the characters totally resonates though yeah and all the character designs look like that yeah the giant jaw and then I think Syndrome is a, is like kind of a reference to what was, I can't remember the, there's another villain in one of those that has this like big crazy hair uh, that I can't remember the name of it. Um, but yeah, it, so, so it's funny that it has all these like aesthetic callbacks to like that whole era. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's awesome. Which- it's, well, yeah. It, it it just feels like it wants to call back the uh, the golden age of America, right? Like this is post World War II. This is like you know after Bretton Woods, and then all the whole um, uh, global economic platform is like built to to uh, serve American interests. And so there's this sense of like uh, all America, everything, everything is so much stronger and better because it's American and all this sort of stuff. Like, um, it's like you know, a big it, it shiny, just sort of feeds that. It's a Say big again? shiny, it's a big shiny car called the 1950s boner. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> that was all I got. Sorry. Hey, just so you, just so you know, you don't ever, uh, you don't, you can if you want, but obviously, but you don't ever have to mute on this show. We don't, uh, we don't discriminate against background noise. It's just part of the. Oh experience. sure, yeah. I just don't want want you to hear me like swallowing my tea or whatever. Oh yeah, well, that's I I don't mind. It's your choice. Well, I, in about a few minutes, I'm gonna eat some spaghetti on Mike. So it's, it's true. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got a plate of clams coming. <laughs> we we get so many of the of the grossest ASMR fans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well. One more note that I had was uh, I liked how the first little segment before he went back into being super again was kind of like what it felt like to be probably like a dad magician, like where you see people at work that need help or you see people here and there and you just want to like do the right magic for everyone. But, you know, you don't have the time and like you get all these other responsibilities too and you know you're super, but like you can't tell anyone Mm -hmm. and no one knows. Like that, I thought that was cool. It's like Magic Dad uh, parallels. Yeah, you know, this gets back into the whole interventionism thing, though, True. because like I'm like, you know, so like there's this scene where 
uh mr incredible he's like in his insurance job and he's in his boss's office getting yelled at by this like obviously jewish tiny dude right there's like all this like weird racism that wants to show up throughout the film right um and so this uh, as he's like getting yelled at about not doing his insurance properly then he looks out the window and he sees uh somebody getting robbed he sees like an old lady getting mugged in the street right and so this to him is a clear example of evil that is still taking place in gotham or wherever the fuck this motherfucker lives and he is uh dismayed by that and then and he goes on to kill his boss about it or critically injure him like i don't believe for a moment that this dude survived it but it's a disney film so like (laughs) put him in a body cast at the end it was only like seven walls (laughs) you know like uh, but anyway so had mr incredible had his way that day then he would have just left the office and gone and killed a robber instead of killing his boss right and so and then you know it just like it feeds that whole interventionism play like is this really is is this saving the world right now like if i if i go and like break this dude's legs like we don't know why this dude is robbing somebody in the first place we don't know if he's got kids to feed we don't know like what's going on out here at all all we know is that there's somebody and like i you know, this is not to say that this person should be robbing people or that this per- person should be violating old ladies or like any of that sort of stuff. But if what we're trying to do is save the world or save the city, then is breaking this person's leg going to do that? And we, in fact, see in the opening montage that the city is not remaining safe. This does not actually help that much. We, we just end up with another person with broken legs and maybe this lady gets her 50 bucks back. But like that doesn't it doesn't save the world out here you know what i mean and i think that that is um that's one of the things that is was really salient to me in 2004 um before i even really had a concept of all i'm still in high school in 2004 you know what i mean like i'm I'm still drinking the kool-aid at that point you know like i I, i'm on team democrat at, at in 2004 at this point you know what i mean and but like to see this open questioning of whether or not intervening is the right move you know and they even use the word intervene like one time he's uh there's a there's a scene where there there's like a family argument going on and the kids are fighting each other and uh mom is like trying to hold them apart but she's all stretchy and so it's not really working and she tells mr incredible to intervene and he's like all right you told me to intervene i'm gonna intervene and he just like starts fucking shit up <laughs> like he just like picks the table up and starts like it and becomes there's like a this like show of brute force that is associated with intervention that i think is like a a really important thing to look at so like when it comes coming back to this idea of like being magic being super being like legitimately magical or super in this life and then seeing things that are going on around us that are that are whack or whatever and then like wanting to intervene on that and then you know like i I always run into this sort of like ethical quandary where i'm like well what even is like the best thing in this moment like if I, i could i could like 
curse the shit out of these people who are harming people that I like, you know what I mean? But like, it's, it, it kind of comes down to people that I like versus people that I don't like. And since when did I become the arbiter of truth and justice and, and freedom and shit like that? You know what I mean? Oh yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it, what's interesting because like so much of it is a, um, it's a problem of scale in a way, right? Like, so the thing you're talking about, like the, the, the guy that is potentially like mugging people because he's trying to feed his grandmother or something like, if you don't have any association with that person, you can't, you can't put any of that in context. So there's this, there's this sense of like, um, if you're in, you know, for lack of a better term, if you're in a community where people know each other, you're going to know what that problem is. And you're probably, you can probably solve it in a different way. But the, the sense of scale and wanting to help the entire world is what sort of draws the blinders down. So you can only make a sum, you can only base things on what's directly in front of you. And you can only, and then based on what you see in front of you, you can only fill that in with the narratives that you know, or the assumptions that you make. Um, so like, Yeah, I think I think so much of it is not everything, but a lot of it could can be better mitigated by by like being more tied to the people that are around you in one way or the other. Because like then you know where you can help or you are not necessarily help, but you do know you do understand the connections of things better that way. Mm hmm. Yeah, was, yeah, engaging um, with strangers is always dangerous, right? Like we don't know, we don't know what's going on with those folks. Don't know <laughs> how we got to this point. You know, like maybe that old lady had a coming. I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> you know, I don't know what she said first. I typically uh, lean in that direction, like uh, a sort of more like, like innately, I want to just be a passenger and just like I'm just here to watch, unless there's something where it's like I can make an immediate difference in, in action in action. Like, I'm just here to observe the world mostly. But if I work at an insurance company where somebody who rightly deserves this uh, is not going to get it, and I know that, maybe doing something to push that is worth it because you might have a direct impact on one person's life, which makes a real difference and a real ripple. And you're writing an injustice that shouldn't be in the first place. Or for instance, if you had a coworker that you knew was a good worker and they have a family and the boss just fucking has it out for them, like intervene, but do it gently with a honey jar to just make their life better and get rid of the boss's bullshit, right? Like you, mm -hmm. you don't have to curse the fucking boss. That's going to make everyone's life hell. That's just spreading more sour bullshit around the office, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, what you want to mm -hmm. do is you want to like uh, uh, intervene in ways that are positive and in ways that are non-specific so they can work themselves out in the best possible way. And like, <clears throat> like praying for someone or doing a novena to a saint to like help clear the way for someone if they're stuck or something like that. Like to where it's, it's not, you're not saying you want this specific fucking result. You're just going like, could we gently make this a little better for this person? Um, Mm -hmm. But in those cases, the only time you should ever really feel the impetus to do that is if you are in relation to them, you know, like Kurt saying, like one-on-one, -on -one, 
you have a relationship, you care about their well-being because you know them. So that's like, um, it's, it's basically just extending love like you would with any action. Um, but yeah, yeah. To- totally by the time he throws the dude through the wall, he's like out of his fucking, he's gone too far. At that point, it's like, that's, that's when you're cursing people just because you can and because you're angry. And it's just like, well, these are just my feelings and I'm just expressing my feelings uh, in a way that's And harming. because Mr. Incredible only wields curses. Basically. Right? At no point does he ever consider a honey jar. But right. Like right. all he can, all he knows how to do is crush things. And we're back to why I don't like Pixar. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just a lot of crushing things in these movies. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, so this is, this is part of the like, this is 2004 America, right? Yeah, like, no, and I am not, yeah, I, I really appreciate that you're coming at this from like a time capsule uh, appreciating like almost like the world creating art right like this is an expression of what was happening at the time and i i think that's a really wonderful way that that we should probably do most of the things we look at on the show i really like that um and i didn't expect it either i didn't expect you to have this kind of uh really deep like I, i'm loving it i'm loving it what, what's interesting is that he when he that point where he he re-meet re-meets syndrome again as an adult like he is suddenly apologetic. He does realize what he did, but it's like too late. Hmm. Um, now th- there is a there's a part of it that's like, well, maybe it's it's just disingenuous because it's like, you know, his life is is suddenly threatened. Because I think syndrome makes that point, right? Like, I don't matter until I'm a threat. Um. Hmm. But it is it is interesting because I think he like there is a glimmer of change there, um, and that he is somewhat of a different person. Mm, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know that I buy that. Um, <laughs> I I'm on Syndrome's team as far as that one is concerned. Like that that apology was bullshit. I think. I think that if if they had been at a cocktail party and he met syndrome again and recognized it and he, and it, it came out that he had been an incredible boy, then I think he would have had some shit to say. You know what I mean? He would have like, he, he would have been making jokes at his expense or, or something like this. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, be, because we've seen that uh, the Incredibles don't respect the super genius as a, as a superpower, you know? And so I think that it would have been uh, disrespectful it would have been continued to be disrespectful from Mr. Incredible unless he was in danger or something like that. I don't think that that was a real turn of heart, change of heart moment for Mr. Incredible. I also don't necessarily think that Mr. Incredible did anything wrong. Cause if we, if we like look at interventionism, then Incredible Boy, like his whole move is like, yeah, let's intervene all up in here. Right. So like my man Incredible is trying to do, he's working his job. You may think you can think whatever you think about law enforcement. It might be a good job. It might be a bad job. Whatever it is, this dude is doing his work. He is engaged in this job and he's it. And like there's volatile shit that's going on. A bomb is about to explode and all this sort of stuff. And then some kid shows up thinking that he is going to be up in here saving the day. I'm actually on the job right now. Buddy, I need you to get out of here. I'm I'm in the middle of something right now. You know what I mean? Like. I don't even necessarily think that if Mr. Incredible needs to apologize for that moment. You know what I mean? Syndrome slash Incredible Boy was out of line. 
and he, and he's butthurt about it now you know yeah yeah i completely agree i i i mean he didn't have to explode him out of the car but (laughs) like 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 a gentle foot to the ass like just a thunk under the curb would have been fine and he would have deserved that every second Mm -hmm. it's like i'm trying to save uh i'm trying to stop one of the unbelievably uh frequent crimes that happen in this town (laughs) Mm -hmm. right now and you're getting in my way this is not cool you're not helping um and that's a lesson he needed to learn but uh but Jesus but he couldn't Christ. learn it also that's the thing syndrome wasn't ready to learn that lesson and right. so he went on to like become the the world's greatest uh inventor of weaponry um in order to sort of like show everybody <clears throat> in order to show mr incredible that he was as bad as they are but like um you know that that yeah, I really, I I like the arc of Mr. Incredible to Syndrome, you know, like it's a, it's, you know, there's, there's like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation going on there where like Incredible leans towards Syndrome and there's a, it's like a <clears throat> better than Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's more Batman and Joker, yeah. you know, like they're, they're kind of the same mm-hmm. in, in some really important ways, in some ways that the, the hero character doesn't want to acknowledge but that the villain um sees and and uh like wants to exploit Mm -hmm. have you guys ever heard of a commentator called fd signifier no no word he uh he's on youtube and does these uh, long video essays mostly on like racial topics and stuff like that but he did a he did something recently that was about um, the manosphere and uh, edge lords and um, and the, this kind of like uh, phenomenon that is, that is currently taking place, uh, especially among uh, teenage to I would say I don't know mid thirties or so boys and um, their their feeling of uh, not being welcome or uh or or feeling trashed all the time in in modern discourse or whatever they they often hang out in places like 4chan and uh they they call themselves edge lords and it's the idea of being like super edgy and uh nihilistic and and this kind of thing anyway um fd signifier talks a lot about um batman and joker as being like the the quintessential edge lord pair who are like too nihilistic for everything and they they sort of like end up on opposite sides of the law but they they both kind of suck hmm. Hmm. yeah i don't i don't agree with that at all i think batman doesn't suck <laughs> you think the batman doesn't suck oh okay i'm really ready to have this conversation because i i am like not on team batman at all but i, no, I would love no. to hear what you have to say well well it's simple um i don't okay well there that's where you're wrong no I, it is for me. I, I don't pull it out of the comic and apply it to anything else. Not with Batman. To me, it's just Batman and it's just in there and it's just cool. And that's fine. <laughs> and that's okay because those things are cool in those worlds and they're not cool in real life. Right? Like, I mean, like Batman a- is the same concept as Mr. Incredible. Like he, he thinks he like finds villains that he thinks are the bad guy and he goes and he breaks their legs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's some part of me that, that is this animal, um, uh, 
something that that really loves that and the outlet for it is things like batman and that is why i can be in society like (laughs) 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 Uh, yeah yeah that's why they won't let me in it's important catharsis it's um i think to have things that are just what they are and it's like i don't i don't I don't need All to right. reckon I don't need to reconcile like his his amorality with the fact that I think the character's fucking cool and like get into that idea like or did when I was a kid I don't really care about Batman anymore you know but but it's just this idea of like for me it's just like eh, I don't I don't really I don't usually take things and apply them um like that so much but uh mm. but I it's it's fucking really fun to do it with Incredibles because it's there's so much in there. It really feels like they meant it to be a commentary, um, but I feel like it makes one that it's like I almost feel like is it propaganda or is it someone trying to make a really good point? Like I almost can't tell, uh, or is it neither? It's probably more likely. Well, both. any any media is always going to be propaganda. <laughs> like yeah. it, anytime anytime somebody is telling you a story at all then they're going to tell that story from their perspective they're going to tell it they're going to spin it in a way that like maybe they're trying to get a laugh out of you or whatever it is like you know you can you can go on the zamboni funk channel and you can find me spinning stories you know what i mean like any, anytime that there's media coming at you there's no such thing as just the news like it is always even if it's just numbers like those numbers have to be contextualized in a narrative at some it, at some level and so there's always going to be an element of propaganda what about, uh, what about I, do, I, don't, I don't i don't like that at all i don't what about like, the idea because, of pure narrative I, yeah because i feel like you're falling into the arconic trap of make like just the idea of co- putting the context of everything as propaganda i feel like you're getting oh media it gets you yeah, well, yeah, media, but but then okay. So wait, 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 wait. What's what do you mean by media though? Like maybe we're getting mixed up on specifics. Of yeah. Definitions. Oh, I mean like um, consumer content that have uh, that like contains information. I, I suppose so, I haven't actually thought with a definition of media, but that's so like so weird. so not just news like like so Mm-mm. memes, uh, music. Uh, social media, um, like if it if it's coming out of your screen, then it's media. And by propaganda, you mean uh, that everyone has something they're trying to convince you of, mm, or a story that they're trying to tell. Okay, I don't feel that. I don't feel I like that's like... necessarily propaganda because I feel like propaganda is like usually manipulation for political means, right? That's what, or I feel like that's what propaganda typically is, either for political means or financial gain, right? I mean, maybe like it's it's sort of the idea that like the the Coca Cola emblem is a really good sigil. Sure. Yeah. It's like. So are we? Are we? Well, so are we doing propaganda right now? Yeah. You think we're doing propaganda right now? Yeah, I think mm. that anytime there's a media, and that's what I said about like the Zamboni Funk channel. Like I, the, I'm currently doing what I always do on the Zamboni Funk channel, except usually I talk about astrology more there. But like, um, but I am telling a story in a way that makes sense to me. And, and sure. 
and like coming and bringing that narrative to you that you might uh, engage with that interface with it in whatever way you like. Um, I would also like it if people wanted to go to my Venmo Cash App PayPal and send me a tip or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Like I'm not going to be able to divorce myself from the, the propagandized form that media at least has taken in 2022. I don't know that there was ever a moment when there was media, when there were town criers or whatever who were not telling a version of the truth. But if we can think about, um, who is it, Catherine Austin Fitz's front on boob of truth. There's like, in the middle, the nipple is like official reality. And then there's all of the rest of reality that takes place around it. And you simply cannot <coughs> tell the story of all reality. It can't be done. And so you only tell this little piece. And if the, if it's, if it's, especially if it's ever coming from state or coming from power or uh, in anyone in any kind of office, then there's absolutely going to be a propaganda component to that. And I think that it's up to us as chaos magicians, as regular folks, as people who wield sigils and stuff like that. It's up to us to get our propaganda game on point so as to, because that's where we are. That's where we are in yeah. the game right now. Yeah, I just, I don't think, I think calling it propaganda is, I think that's the wrong approach. Personally, that's, to me, that's the wrong sure. approach. Because, because like, at a, okay, so would, would us talking, having the same conversation around a campfire be the same thing? Mm, that's a good question. That's a real good question. Especially if mm. there's, if, if, and that's- there's no that's, media involved. Yeah, but but if there's still an audience there, like say it's us, like mm -hmm. we're we're the center of attention at that moment in a campfire with a dozen other people that we're only kind of vaguely familiar with. Is that still propaganda? I feel like I feel like uh -huh. by using by using that word, you're falling into the trap of becoming like them. That's the that's always the archonic thing, right? Is that mm. is that it? Here's the thing. I don't I don't claim that I'm not like them. Okay. I'm the one that suggested a Pixar film. You guys wanted to watch <laughs> Gotham films and stuff like that. And I was like, what if we watched a Disney movie? <laughs> I may well be a villain here, you know, like I, I don't, I don't claim that I'm not. So you're an edgelord is what you're saying. I might be. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I tend to get along with women better than uh, edgelords do, but like, um, that you know like it's there there's a resonance that i can't deny sure what do you feel about the idea of pure exploration without motive other than to explore like well i think like, that's what the universe is doing like people used to make music and a few people might still um, like people used to make in film a lot, but maybe a couple people still do. You know that <laughs> that kind of um, really like what we're trying to do here is like sit down with someone we've never talked to before and just see what happens. Like there's there's absolutely no there's no message. We have no message. We have no advice. Uh, it's just like experience and an exploration of that exp experience. So how does that fit to the model? Or am I successfully breaking the propaganda model? Because that's, <laughs> I, I hope, I hope somehow.
we can. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I see. I don't want to see propaganda as enemy as much as I. I just want to be able to see it as a thing that is happening out here in the world and be aware of that and uh, be aware of the like uh, energetic tides that flow as a result of that tool being in place and so um you know it, it's the same sort of idea of like um like a, am i on the team with the villains or am i on the team with the good guys well i i don't really recognize uh either one of those as being a true thing there there's like a, a soup full of people who are doing stuff and and where we get into like sort of pirates territory where you can like uh there's the one rule where you can either do um what it, what can be done versus what cannot be done and there is no cheating because if it can be done then it can be done and that that kind of thing like so are pirates good guys or they are they bad guys well they're thieving and they they, they cheat a lot except they except for this one rule and whatever right so so to my mind, propaganda doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Propaganda is a thing that is operant in the world. And if so, if we are going to live in that world, then what does this mean for us? Uh, for me, I can tell you exactly what it means. It means that uh, <clears throat> propaganda also like you, for me, it is not an enemy. It is a thing that exists that I must be aware of and at this point, it's kind of a whitewash where most things feel like propaganda of some sort. Um, I, I agree, almost, because I don't think everything is. I think most things feel like propaganda. Most media. Uh, however, I kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah, that's... I think it works if there's different levels to it, I guess. I don't know. Okay, so I, I think it's something to I be aware of. I just want to of. put out a real quick disclaimer here that I have not found the one right way to live. This is not the correct yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the universe. I, 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 no, we're just, I just, we're just feeling no, 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 it out. No, no, no. But, I just but like, I, think, I, also, I also think that what you just said is the right model to live with, which is I'm find, trying to find, you're seeking that that is the right way to live is to seek that right sure. yeah what i was uh, what i got lost from earlier was uh was that from my own experience that being a thing in the world is sometimes an option then for it to be something that can be commandeered and used for my own means right like you're saying as this sort of just chaos magic approach of it exists and everyone's using it. So using it to a degree is, is fine. And um, it's just a thing to be employed if you want to, uh, or a current to fall in if you'd like to, and it can be employed in different ways for different means. And in and of itself, it isn't like evil, it's just a thing in the world, <clears throat> if I'm understanding you correctly. But however, from mm -hmm. my, my experience is throughout like 12 years of my life of playing in bands and becoming this self-promotion machine uh, where like to get people to show up, it's like walking downtown and running into seven people and you mention the show to every single fucking one of them and it becomes part of your life that you're propagandizing for yourself. 
Um, so I have like this deep history with propaganda in that sense to where it, I, when I started playing music, it was very much because of uh, a necessity inside. And then as I self-promoted and self-promoted over that length of time, it became this tiresome chore of becoming like, and a slow and steady process of becoming my own product. And, mm -hmm. and then the self-awareness of what was being created in relation to what the audience wanted and what their responses were in the past to previous things and how they sounded. And it was like, I was creating my own algorithms for success. And that mm -hmm. through that, uh, I entirely lost the thread and it damaged my relationship to music to this day. Like, mm. so for me, um, the idea of engaging with that, I see as red flags to be avoided because it can be okay to put your foot in that pool. But if you let it get away from you, like it can really do some damage. Just speaking from permanent personal experience. And I don't even think self-promotion is what you're talking about, but that's just the bells that it was ringing for me um, mm -hmm. with the idea of propaganda in general, or even... Yeah, for me, it's something to be aware of so that I can stay far clear of it. And that's like, that's actually part of the exercise, like the active function of doing this podcast is being able to try and do something where I'm not trying to do something, <laughs> basically. Mm. Well, I, I think, I think what's, what's interesting there is, is that it, and that's like, that's always the scary part about like, you know, what this day and age is like marketing and everything is that what you were trying to do became a separate thing from yourself, right? Like you had to split off the, your brand or whatever the fuck that had to become a, that became a separate object that then that was the focus versus like the, I guess the center core of it, which was just about sharing music. Right that there was like there's suddenly like this second layer or second skin that's placed on top of the original thing yeah and, and so like you're you're being pulled away from what it is you were originally trying to do and you lost that connection and it it became its own like uh its own separate thing and i think it's like this you're, it's like you abstract yourself I, I yeah like a spiritual algorithm is like a, a servitor or a toddler or something it's it's like truly like creating a or a, like an algorithm like a that you're, you're crafting these things for success but it becomes this separate entity that you are piloting or, or powering with your own uh energy and attention and it, it it does kind of like create this actual entity thing that you then have to get rid of later it's really fucked up that's an interesting commentary on power, I think, um, you know, mm. and the on, and the even like the magical cultivation of power um, as so what you're trying to do there with self promotion and stuff like that is you're trying to have you're trying to generate power with that music. So the music if people come to your shows um, or they buy your merch or whatever it is, then um, that empowers you to do that music with your time and your life because if you don't get money from those events then you have to get a job or whatever it is and then you have to deal with a boss and like then now, now you've got less time and energy and love for for your craft right and so 
what you're trying to do with your self-promotion is you're trying to generate some power behind that thing that you're doing. And, um, and so then as you go on to cultivate power, doing whatever you're doing, then if you, if you do that, then you are likely to cultivate a certain amount of power. And then in doing that, you it like you have to keep putting energy into that machine for it to continue to run the way that you want it to. And um, and that, you know, that sort of speaks again, this kind of gets back to that whole interventionism play. You know what I mean? And Django mm-hmm. Bones, what you were talking about is um, this idea of like, I just kind of want to be a passenger and I just want to be here. I just want to be in the world while the world is happening and while the world is continuing to explore itself and see all the things, you know, Ursula Le Guin um, writes really eloquently um, in the Earthsea series about brilliant magicians, like really amazing um, spiritual entities who ultimately decide that they're not going to do anything. They choose silence. They sit and, and they like sit is literally all that they do. And they just sit there and sit and think about stuff and they don't speak and they sit and they think about stuff. And um, there's this sense that there's a kind of impeccable rightness to doing that, that is um, worth exploring. Now, I'm personally ready to contest that a little bit and and uh, see, fight with even the grandmother a little bit on that. But um, but there's a really there, there's an interesting point there to be had for sure. What, well, I think, I think the, I think the thing about that, right, is that if, if there are these super powerful magicians, they have probably like an ultimate capacity to bring what they want into the world, like they could steer it. And if you have that, then there's no surprises. So if, if you just let the world do what it's doing, you get surprises that way. Yeah, and that I think that's pro- that's much more engaging, exciting. So I kind of get where I, I can see that trajectory if you do have that kind of uh, ultimate capacity, like that willingness to step back and let let the thing in front of you unfold, so that you can. Th- there's actual wonder there, versus mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna manage all of this. I'm gonna manage and make it exactly what I want it to be. Um. And all of all three of us do creative work. So there's a certain point where like, if you try to do creative work that way, you're going to, you're going to become miserable because it's, it's a two-way street. Like you have to let it live. You, you start it, but it's a conversation. Right. And so, but I also agree with you. We're not those wizards yet. So (laughs) that's, uh, that's super Buddhist. Like, I mean, the idea that the higher, the closer you get to God, the less you want to control. Mm-hmm. Because godliness mm-hmm. is not control. Godliness is like just this massive whole everything. And so, you, like you said, they get, the higher up you get, the less surprises there are. You kind of want to just let things play out too. Like there's, <laughs> I feel like, like you're saying that that's really interesting to me. Well, I also think it's that's that that would also be an incredibly isolating experience if like everything you interacted with bent entirely to your will. Who would want that? Yeah, yeah, but I'm sure there are some people. 
<laughs> nobody that, I, yeah, nobody that wants, would really like that love that yeah they would love that <laughs> nobody that wants that should ever have that <laughs> yeah again ursula Le Guin speaks to this very eloquently in a book called lathe of heaven um where a technocrat gets the ability to dream a world into being right. and um and he keeps <laughs> doing it and and uh and it keeps like making terrible things happen he's like trying to cure racism and so everybody turns and everybody turns gray and he's like well we don't have the color problem anymore and it's like this this kind of thing over and over and over and he keeps trying to like rid the world of war and all, all the terrible things and it keeps just like turning out more and more terrible every time i feel like you just described like season seven of rick and morty they're just gonna rip that book off <laughs> word you know next next time you come on we could uh we could do like a, a shorter Le Guin story because I Kurt and I have both been meaning to read some and you seem to be uh, a fan so I love Ursula Le Guin she's my very favorite author in the whole wide world I love her so much that's awesome now we know who to have back for that <laughs> yeah I've only I've only read Left Hand of Darkness I haven't um and I've been meaning to I've read that in the, um, what is the short story? Um, uh, about the, the last one? Yes. Yeah. That mm -hmm. one I've read, which is also an incredible, incredible short story. Incredible. Yeah, everything she wrote was just like the very most amazing thing that has ever happened. It's, it's great. <laughs> uh, I'll just tell a quick Ursula Le Guin story, if you don't mind. Um, oh, yeah. When I, she wrote this book called Four Ways to Forgiveness. Um, which is uh, split up into four different vignettes and they, they all take place in on different planets in space and they're, they're all part of the like Heinrich series and whatever. So whatever, doesn't really matter. Um, it's, it's all very interesting though. And then once you make it to the end, then the last one, the, fi the final vignette in there is a slave narrative. And it is a very obvious shout out to the transatlantic transatlantic slave trade and American slavery as a as a kind of monument to whatever uh, slaving am in the world. And so um, and she's like inverted the colors for dramatic effect or whatever, but it's very obviously about American slavery. And um, and I made it through that vignette. And at the end of it, I was moved to tears. And that is very significant to me. Having read a narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass, having read Phyllis Wheatley, having read real legitimate slave narratives, a white woman wrote a slave narrative that brought me to tears. And when that happened, then it made it clear to me that white people could understand. Mm -hmm. White people could get it if they simply tried and that really that that changed things for me because up to that point i had sort of been like there's no hope for white people like white, white people are just terrible they're just gonna like fucking hunt me until the day i die just because you know what i mean like it was a the especially that that was a point where i had been like you know, I got hit by that truck one time and whatever, whatever. And uh, it was just like, it, I had given up hope on white people. Um, there was a, um, there's a book called uh, The White Boy Shuffle by Paul Beatty. And in it, he um, recommends a mass suicide for black people. 
and uh, just as a way to just be like, you know what, fuck this. We we're not playing this game anymore. I'm not doing it. I'm I'm not participating anymore. And so there's like uh, this like advocate advocacy for a mass suicide. And that book was like a, a real important piece of uh, of my sort of uh, coming of age. But anyway, um, in that book, there's a there's a junkie who uh, who says who's like getting caught up in that and he's like you know what i'll stop smoking when white people start having feelings and um that that really resonated with me Damn. anyway fast forward a few years and i read this uh four ways to forgiveness by ursula Le Guin, and this slave narrative that was written by a white woman brings me to tears it's just like so resonant and real and it really gave me the the feeling that like oh damn this is like this can be done this this empathetic thing can happen. People don't necessarily have to be raised in a certain kind of trauma in order to empathize with the reality of that moment. And so I, I, ever since that, I've just been like totally on team Ursula Le Guin. I love Ursula Le Guin so much. That's, that's pretty incredible. Takes a special white lady. <laughs> <laughs> word it, it, evidently evidently but she like she showed me that it, like it doesn't necessarily have to be just the one it can be yeah. done yeah yeah for sure i mean really all you got to do is like move to a black neighborhood for a few years like that's, that's all anybody has to do is like <laughs> I, th I really do think that i really think everything is about exposure like it doesn't matter how much hate is in your heart if you see the humanity in someone else uh you fucking come around. Seeing the humanity in, in the others is a real important thing. Um, I don't know that like moving to a neighborhood will do it. I, I wrote a short story one time. Um, and, yeah, and, I don't and, know. And I'm sorry. I'm full of hot takes. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, it's all, it's all good. It's all good. Um, and like I, I took it here. So we, we, we could have very easily not have talked about this, <laughs> but like I, I brought it here. Um, you know, like, uh, it's, I think it's easy for, uh, a gentrifying type to, uh, to, to see himself as, uh, a new kind of integrationist, you know, like moving into a poor black neighborhood and then being like, oh no, I, I'm not afraid of black people. Like I look at me moving into their neighborhood, you know what I mean? And well, then, sure, like, yeah. If you do it with that douchebag attitude, <laughs> yeah, right. So, I mean, so, yeah, so I'm just saying that, like, this idea of like, like all you have to do is move into the neighborhood. Like, well, I don't mean, not, yeah, you can't just do it like know, a prescription. It's got to be like a happenstance thing, I guess. You know what I mean? And I didn't mean like, sure, just go do that, people. Obviously, we don't give any, <laughs> we don't give medical or any kind of advice on this show. Yeah, we give no advice here. <laughs> no, no. In fact, do do something different than what we say usually, but. Mm -hmm probably should yeah, but, watch the incredibles but i think but i think uh definitely if you you can it's not something you can orchestrate and that is uh obviously the problem right but but i think if if people found themselves in a situation if, if someone with hate in their heart found themselves in a situation no matter who it is or what the other people are where they're exposed they're around them and they have to like be forced into being human around them and in with them it it inevitably ends it. And I think that's so fascinating that it just like, like those kinds of things do just dissolve. I mean, I think there probably are cases where someone just is so stubborn that they manage to hold on uh, to their prejudices. And even in a situation of, of like intimacy or 
um, maybe not into like uh, at least cultural vulnerability or human vulnerability, just being like relying on the same resources as others and having the same struggles as others. Like that kind of thing almost always will break it down. Um, but yeah, people can be really fucking stubborn. <laughs> really, really, especially if you, identity is a big problem with that, right? Like if you, if you make your prejudice a big part of your identity, um, yeah, then it, then it's, then it's a little bit harder. Uh, I, I think that, that the identity crisis is the number one problem with the United States. Like, I think that no one knowing who they are, no one having healthy ancestors, like, there's just this, um, people latching on and sort of play acting at everything they do. Um, it, it feels like everything's LARPing. And I, I know I said that before on the show, but it feels like every, every culture in America, like most of it, everything's like a bit LARPing to a degree. Um, well, there's a kind of power in that performative thing, right? Um, that's one of the things that Gordon, also, Gordon White also talks about a lot is about like how performance isn't necessarily fake, but rather performance is performance. And we can see this sort of thing coming through in the way that like you perform gender, right? You, your gender expression isn't fake because you're performing it. It's but like you the way that you communicate it in the world is by this performance. And a lot of it's going to be body language. And there's a lot of it's just going to be like how you be in the world. Right. And so if there's a, uh, you know, and so Gordon always talks about it in the, in the context of like ritual or ceremonial magic and this kind of thing. So if you perform as uh, whatever deity is. So like, for example, I've done sun magic before. And uh, one time I got uh, a crown from Burger King and I put some sun sigils in there and I dressed myself in a robe and I put the crown on and I had a gold chain around my neck and I was the sun for that moment. And it's not because I was a fake sun, but I was performing sunliness for that moment. And I do believe that the sun was there present for that uh, ritual. And so there's something, um, there, there's, there's a kind of power in performance that I think is uh, obvious if you take a, a look at the American cultural stage and you look at the way that American culture has come to dominate world culture, um, then there, there's something about LARPing that is at least powerful, if not good. Agreed. Yeah, I think I think I think the the key is under understanding that because uh, because it's like it's like wearing a mask, right? It's understanding that you're putting that mask on, but you're still you're still there behind it. So like the it, it allows you to inhabit and, and like join with the thing that you're performing. I think I think. Because it's interesting the idea between like what is perform performing something and being fake, and like fake is is maybe you do the performance but you're not aware that you're doing the performance maybe, like, uh, or that it's possibly foisted on you. Mm. Yeah, you know, like I don't know, I don't even know though, because like I can think about times when, um, like I used to work in a restaurant for example. 
and I would go into that restaurant in a bad fucking mood, and but broke as fuck, and so I needed to be there. And so then I would go in there and I would put this big smile on and I would be so personable and like, oh my God, don't you want to buy this drink also? Oh my God, like shouldn't, woo, we're going to have so much fun in here. And then I would come out from the end of that and having worn this big smile all night and everything, and I would be in a better mood at the end of the night, having worked, be, I would be tired and all this, but having done that performance of somebody who was in a good mood, then I found myself being in a better mood at the end of the night, right? And so there was a fakeness to it that that had been foisted on me, right? I had to do that because uh, for uh, like out of my own, it was out of my own control. I had to do that and I had to put on this big show. But in doing that show, then I became the version of myself that I had been pretending to be. That's really, really interesting to me because it just goes to show how different people are. Like, like, cause I, I like, I'm, clearly I'm seeing things through my own lens and this illustrates that for me. Like, because the, like me seeing it as like putting this LARPing tone on it, uh, because that's kind of how I see a lot of things. I see a lot of mimicry and I see a lot of like, I don't know where I belong. So I'm going to put on a mask and forget that it's a mask. Um, that kind of thing. But Man, yeah, I don't know. It, well, well, that, it that is go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, it's also interesting to me that, that like, what, like that instance that you're talking about probably started out as fake and then became more real. And it was sort of like the exchange that happened. It was like almost in a weird way, kind of, I don't know if reward is the white, quite the right word, but it was like, the mask then gave you back what it symbolized. That's right? Yeah, there was a resonance. It That's, like it, yeah. I, I put it out there, and then that resonance it started came to, back, come back. Yeah, it reflected. It was reflected back toward me. Now, see, whenever I had to do that at serving jobs or baristing or whatever, bartending and whatnot, I would get off work and want to do heroin. Like, I would not feel better from the fucking smiling all night. My face would hurt. I would feel hollow inside. Mm. I would have no mm. feelings. I would feel trapped. Um, and I, I, I hated every second of pretending to care more than I really did about these fucking assholes food. Like, mm. <laughs> and most of the time they were because it was like a lot of rich white people in this Florida um, Gulf Coast town. And uh, they were, they were, yeah, terrible, terrible people, like old people that'll send their plates back two and three times kind of a place. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and it just hollowed me out, man. Like, like I couldn't, I couldn't do that and then go home and like have any kind of life. Like it was like, I'd want to do drugs or I'd at least drink six tall boys and watch something shitty and bad for me and pass out. Like, every night so it's just crazy like you can you did that and you came out feeling better and you like fell into the role and for me there's like this weird no but I'm actually feeling this thing and the the denial of it feels and I, it's got to be I'm sure that you could find that in my chart well <laughs> right? I mean like, but, but, all, but also I mean it could just be the place too right like I did like Zamboni I don't know what the place was like that you were working at maybe there's like because right 
because in each case, like you guys are going to do this performance, but the mask is built out of the, out of the situation that you're going into. Right. So the good vibes that Zamboni is getting out of putting on that mask, like that could be a real thing that's assembled out of the group and the place and the dynamic that it's there. While as the one you were going to rev, that never happens. It's just taking like you, do, you're not, the mask isn't giving you back. It's just, you put it on and it's like, it's like an iron maiden. It's just dating its claws in and sucking your blood out yeah, versus like, being reciprocal. It's like the berserker armor, armor, except none of my enemies are dying. <laughs> just you. Just, <laughs> and just, just using the emotional energy to keep the smile and like ask how their fucking day was or how their meal was, you know? Um, yeah, what what was the place like, Zamboni, that you were you were working at? I mean, I certainly would not call this place a paragon of good vibes. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it was actually, like, I think it said that in their um, in their Yelp <laughs> on Yelp. Not a par- like, that's <laughs> one star. Not a paragon not. of good vibes. <laughs> good good yeah. shrimp though. Good shrimp. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, like it was. Um, I definitely like, I don't, I don't think it was, I I definitely think that that was generated inside of myself, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that feeling of like, oh, like I'm having fun or whatever. I I definitely feel like that was, that was coming from inside me, not because it was necessarily, uh, like coming from, uh, the, the restaurant being nice or something like this. Cause like, it wasn't, it wasn't a good power dynamic and, and, you know, like it, it wasn't, it wasn't a good job for sure. But it's interesting because there's there's still seems like maybe maybe there was like in some way that you were you were willing to I don't know if surrender is the right word you were willing to to at some I think you might be onto something with that yeah yeah that you know where and it's like go ahead it's a little bit like up to this point I've been willing to identify myself with villainy you know Um, and so I. I, I'm not necessarily committed to being better than anyone else. And I don't, Rev, I don't know what's going on with you. And so I don't want to put any words in your mouth or anything. But um, the the way that you described it just now was very much like, uh, this isn't, I, I don't want to be here as a part of this situation. And I don't want to like be, I, I don't want to pretend and all this sort of stuff. Whereas um, I tend to be like, all right villainy is what we're doing we're we're like we're on the bad bad guy squad tonight well let's do it you know what i mean you, you and know like, what i feel really well, called out ready to I play feel, that game i feel so called out right now because like i want to pretend to be a villain so bad but like you just like shined a big light on like nope nope he's a good guy and he can't fucking help it word <laughs> That, that works for some folks, you know, like uh, maybe maybe that's good for you. Although the way that you describe it, it, it sounds like maybe trying to be the hero uh, leads to heroin and tall boys. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that was years ago. It's good. <laughs> that's that's <all laughs> old, old stuff now. But but just just thinking about the last time that I no, Yeah, I hit I hit four years clean like a couple few weeks ago. So hi. Hi. But good um, job. Good on you. Yeah, I was gonna ask. I wanted to ask if you had any um, uh, 
anything you wanted to talk about that you've been working on lately or if you wanted to tell any stories about any time you've spent doing anything cool <laughs> in general or, um, or you, talk you just about want like cool stories at all or yeah sure or you're or you're you know like anything you want to plug anything at all man like i just want to let you sure. know like it's open if you want to talk about anything in particular i'd love to hear yeah sure any of and all of that shit cool well rev, rev just doesn't want to confront the fact that he's been making syndromes for most of his life and he's he's <laughs> <laughs> i may have i i just may have kids uh, out of cars no, I, I may have made a I may have made a couple syndromes in my twenties because like I for a little while there I was the cool kid in a small town and everybody liked me and I definitely had a few haters like that, you know. Mm. So and people I could have been nicer to. So look, it happens. It happens out here, you know, like people and people really want you to be a thing. You know what I mean? Like I'm uh, I attract a lot of attention. I'm I'm like tall and I've got fancy hair and piercings and all this sort of stuff. Like I, I get attention from people. And one time I was, uh, I, I went to school in Galesburg, Illinois, and uh, which is like a train town, basically like the trains run that town. And so I was sitting there at the train station. I was like going to come take a, a visit and hang out with my lady and all this sort of stuff. So I'm sitting there in the train station and this kid comes up to me and he's like, yo, are you Travi McCoy from the gym class heroes? And I was like, no. <laughs> and he was like, what? And like, just, and like walked around to the other side to see and walked and was like, whatever, I know it's you. And he just, and he like left and he was in a huff, you know? And I was like, I should have just signed this kid's autograph. He was like, we we both would have had a good night, you know what I mean? Like, and so, uh, I I totally understand what it's like when you're like you know the cool kid or whatever, and then other people have all these expectations around it, and like it's a it's a whole thing. So I and that, that's a thing that actually just yesterday <clears throat> somebody like honked the horn and waved out the window to me, and I was like, hey, and waved back, and I was like, I have no idea who that person is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no idea at all but they recognized me they wanted they needed that moment so i gave it to them <laughs> so uh you asked me about plugs so i just um i am just releasing a podcast probably by the time this comes out it'll be out the first episode will be out it's called what is the time with zamboni phone uh, we are, so the, the title of that actually comes from that same book I was talking about before, um, that book by Paul Beatty, the white boy shuffle, um, in it, one of the characters dies. And so then we, uh, another character gets a tattoo, uh, of a watch on his arm. And he says like, this is dedicated to Nick Scobie, a dude who always knew what time it was. And, um, I just like really love that. And timing is my whole craft. Uh, I do astrology. You can go to zambonifolk.com and you can get a, a reading with me. Um, and then I also do music. And so the way that I do music is very much about timing. It's about rhythm and groove and, and uh, danceability and this kind of stuff. And so timing is my whole craft. And so I'm, the, this podcast is very much about knowing what time it is culturally, historically, geopolitically, so that we can be more personally sovereign and um, 
generate the more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible. And so uh, it is not limited to astrology. And that was that's one of the things that I've run into is that like um, people sort of expect me to be an astrologer and to talk about zodiacal releasing and all this sort of stuff. When in fact, I really use astrology as a tool for knowing what time it is or for understanding the landscape of time. So as to use that as a map to better navigate the my way through it and to to generate a more beautiful world and uh, to generate the life that I want. So this podcast um, will be coming out on Wednesday, I think. So who knows when this podcast is, uh, when this episode that we're currently recording is um, going to come out, but it'll probably be, uh, by the time this comes out, this will be, that will be out. And so folks can check that out. Um, you can also check me out on Patreon where um, I do an electional report. So again, back thinking with a astrological timing, I do a report every month for, uh, which contains good times to launch your product. Maybe you've got a product to launch. Maybe you've got an important email you want to write. Maybe you've got a first date that you want to go on. Um, any of these kinds of things would be improved by um, auspicious timing or by by beginning that event at the right time. Also, there are many rough times to try to launch things. Um, you can you can try to launch something and the moon is conjunct Mars and that'll likely be a lot of work and a lot of headache and difficult for you. So it's a it's an election or it's a monthly report full of good times to, to launch as well as bad times to avoid. So um, so you can go on to Patreon and, and check all that out. You can go to ZambonyFunk.com and see all of that and see explanations of all that. You can go to ZambonyFunk.com slash music and find my music. Um, there is a new song which is out on Spotify right now. It's called Can't Help Myself. I am so, 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 so proud of that joint. I love it. I'm so proud. Um, it took yeah. 11 years to get out and it finally, it like hits that perfection. Like I, every last little bit, it like sounds like it took 11 years to make. Um, and so oh, I'm man, really proud so of that nice. joint. I yeah, love that. So I good. love like when when somebody puts an album out and they're fucking happy with it because that's that's a different feeling altogether than when you're like, yeah, it's it's done. It's there <laughs> right. if you want to listen to it. Like that cringe feeling you get when you're not thrilled with it. And I love seeing that that face. You're like, yes, listen to it. I'm happy with it. Yeah, yeah. I I knew that I couldn't live with not being able to listen to it myself. And so now, now I'm at a point where I put it on just because I want to listen to it. I want to listen to the sound of victory. And so <laughs> I put that shit on. I fucking did it. I made it. So oh, yeah. you put that on in the background um, when you do success magic too. Dude, <laughs> like you, ride you the fucking wave. know it. You yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely what's going on. So um, so yeah, you can find all of those things. Um if you want to, uh, there's also a, if you go to zambonifunk.com slash music, then you'll be able to see a YouTube playlist full of all of the, uh, the good videos of performances that I did throughout New York and, and around the world and whatever. Um, so that is, that's where you can find my stuff. Um, yeah. And really, you know, we're this, this project is, I like to call it the Zamboni Funk Enterprise because it's a business and it's a thing that we're, that, like it's an enterprising art form or whatever, but it's also a spaceship. And so <laughs> we, uh, it's very much about taking this thing out into, to, to its logical conclusion. Where, if we, 
are to if we really are generating a new mindscape right now then where can we go with this and sort of like thinking with that as a question one of my favorite um teachers is biokomalafe who asked this question um what if the way that we respond to the problem is part of the problem and so um, that's a really good question to think with. But part of the reason why I love that question so much is because it is a question, not the way that we respond to the crisis is part of the problem, period. But rather, what if the way that we respond to crisis is part of the crisis, right? So in making it into a question and having an open question feel to it, then it it gives us some wiggle room with which to respond. And so um, my plan is to use that podcast and um, the whole Zamboni Funk enterprise to just ask a better question. Cool. So like, what if, what if, uh, what if all the crazy amounts of crime in this fucking animated city is because of the bullies? <laughs> exactly, exactly, <laughs> right? Or, you know, and that's that's not really what the uh, the the question underlying that first half of the film is. But um, but the the question is more like, what if the what if it's not solved by these bullies? Right. Right. You know, and, yeah, like and that. asking that question makes it, you know, the, it rather than being like, fuck the police. Right. Which we can totally do. Fuck the police all day. But like, um that doesn't really leave room for people who are on board with the police to like question it at all. You know, like if you, if you just go in guns blazing and being like, fuck the police, then people who are all blue lives matter are gonna like, they're, they're just gonna take up their guns and they're gonna shoot back and they're gonna shoot better than you are because you're not gonna outgun police, right? So instead, if we go, well, what if the police aren't really solving crime? Then now there's a, there's a way for us to get in there, you know what I mean? And so just asking better questions is is one of the main things that I hope to do with my life. That's a good goal. I kind of think that people that are sure of too many things are just lost. Like, <laughs> I mm -hmm. think there's, um, there's something to be said for not being confident in your opinions and just having feelings and being vigilant. Mm -hmm. One of the well, things I that I always try to say is I don't answer questions, I respond to them. Mm. Well, I guess I guess the better version of that is be confident in your questions, right? Because that's, yeah, that, that idea of seeking. Actually, I'm curious, like, uh, well, it's kind of a silly thing. In a, in a weird way like did you come to astrology first and then go to magic or was it sort of mm -hmm. all one okay you did how did you how did yeah. you first connect into astro astrology like what brought sure. you into it well so my favorite color is purple and most astrology books have purple covers i can't <laughs> lie like that wasn't a major draw for me it was <laughs> yeah. so, that is as if my roommate had a book on the shelf that was a had a purple cover and it was the only astrology book you'll ever need and i was like 
all right, you know what? Fuck it. So like, I was, you know, and up, up to that point, I had been living in Brooklyn or whatever. And, Bro you know, like, so astrology was like beginning to have a moment in history. And Brooklyn was like kind of an epicenter for that. And so, uh, you know, I had been reading my little horoscope or whatever. I was reading Chani Nicholas at that time. And, um, you know, so and I was dating a girl who was a Gemini and I'm a Scorpio. And so those are very different and they would get very different uh horoscopes and i could see that um my girlfriend didn't like how different they were and she didn't like she would read the scorpio one and she didn't like that it seemed better or something like that like and so whatever was going on i didn't know if it was true or what was happening out here but i could see that something was happening something was resonating and it was hitting in some kind of way and so i was like all right let's see what's going on here so then i found this purple book and i was like all right you know let's the, evidently this is the only astrology book that i'll ever need like let me just see what <laughs> see how this goes and so i read that book from beginning to end and uh and i learned a sort of basic structure of like what astrology even am then i read a next book by stephen forrest called inner sky and um and the so then after those two books i had a basic idea of how cookbook astrology worked like how to even cast a chart and how to begin to think with readings and so i started doing uh, so i started doing that like kind of a little bit like on my own chart or whatever and then i started to um well so i i went away i went to california and i was um trimming buds in Northern California in the, in the Emerald, what they call it? The Emerald Triangle up there. Yeah. Um, so there's, they grow a lot of weed in California and I was there and I was trimming those buds. And um, as I was sitting there, so that job is like, they, they pay you not for your time, but by weight. So if you've yeah. trimmed a certain amount of product, then that is how they pay you. So anytime you're not sitting at the table trimming, you're cutting into your own money. Right. And so there's a big incentive to just sit here. Don't move 14 hours a day. Just sit in this fucking chair. Right. Yeah. That's why I didn't make <laughs> right. very much when, when I worked out there. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's for Sorry. some people. It's not for others, for sure. Sorry. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's all good. It's all good. But so I um, so as that happened, then I got into uh, the astrology podcast. That's when I noticed the astrology podcast. And so nice. that was when, when I started uh, listening to those forecasts with uh, Chris and Austin and Kelly. And then I noticed that the astrology podcast was this whole archive of like, if you want to know how to do astrology, like Chris has laid it out for you. You feel however you want about Chris Brennan, the man. The fact is he has done the work. And so um i found that that podcast and and also that was around the time of the uh, the great american eclipse and so i you know there was a there was a major celestial phenomenon that was taking place at that time and all the astrologers had something to say about it and a bunch of people who were non-astrologers had shit to say about it and so <laughs> um so it was in that moment that i kind of like turned on to astrology and then there was this whole thing that happened like i um I got sick while I was out there at camp and everything. And I had this whole like spiritual revelation and this, this thing happened. And so by the time I came back to New York, then I knew that I had a little bit of cash money in my pocket and I knew that I wasn't going to 
you know, before that I had been working uh, at a clinic and I had been just like managing the clinic. I'd been working a nine to five basically. And I knew that I wasn't going to do office work like that anymore. And I knew that I wasn't going to try to manage somebody else's stuff anymore that I was going to try to do my thing. At that point, I was going to try to do, um, I, I, I was going to do music full time. At that point, I was still like in New York City because I wanted to be Erica Badu's bass player. Like that was that was where my head was at. Hell and yeah. so um, I was so that that was and I came back and I had a little money in my pocket. I was going to like uh, I was going to finish Can't Help Myself. Notice that this is like around the time of the Great American Eclipse. Right. We're talking about 2016. Can't Help Myself didn't come out till 2022. So <laughs> you know what's going on here. But, uh, so. So I came back and I was like really excited to do all that stuff. And then this girl that I was seeing at, at that time was um, she was uh, she brought me to an ayahuasca circle that was happening in Brooklyn. And so I drank some ayahuasca and it blew my whole shit up. I didn't have like it, it just became clear to me that um, the world was bigger than I had been told that um, there was more going on. And then, at, so I had this like basic framework for astrology. I, you know, read a couple of books and was like, a, you know, I was a, uh, I was a novice to middling astrologer at this point, right? And I knew that because I could go to a cocktail party and start talking about astrology and I would lose everyone there. You know, like nobody had any idea <laughs> what I was talking about. Like people would be like, I'm a Sagittarius. And that would be all they had, you know what I mean? Mm. And um, <laughs> And then you and became so, a shark. Right. And then, you, and then you turned into a human shark. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, so I had this framework for astrology and I drank this ayahuasca and then I was like, oh, like there's way more going on in the world. And astrology seems like really good magic for knowing things. Like, is there also magic for doing things? Mm. Turns out, yes, <laughs> is the answer to that question. And um, so right at that time, then Austin Kopic was doing a plant or a, uh, a talisman's course, which Ooh. he now no longer does as a standalone. He, he it's a part of his like year three or something like that. Nice. Um, but he was just doing it as a standalone course at that moment. I hadn't taken any of his classes up to that point. And I just <laughs> took his talisman course and uh it was super rigorous like the the astrology in that course is not a game you better know your fucking astrology if you want to do some of these picatrix elections mm -hmm. and uh it really got me up to speed and so i started making uh talismans and so th that was like you know i got good at that during 2018 17 18 and stuff and then moving into 2019 that's jupiter and sagittarius and so there's a bunch to do during that time and so I started doing uh, a bunch of like talismanic uh, magic work through through that time. At that same time, then one of my friends still living in New York City at this point, uh, one of my friends was uh, interested in Gordon White and Rune Soup and wanted to and she wasn't doing the sigils course. She like was in it, but wasn't actually doing it and was like, yo, do you want to be buddies and do this course with me? And so she gave me her password to rune soup and so i took this sigils course with her the idea was that we were going to take it together and we were going to keep each other honest and all this she continued to not do the work and so <laughs> then i was just in the site you know what I mean? so i'm just like lurking around rune soup doing all the courses by myself and all this sort of stuff 
and after a certain period of time, I decided to, that I wanted to get uh, my own, uh, that I wanted to subscribe as as my own member. And really, what happened was I sent a Q and A question to to Gordon under my friend's name, and he gave such a nice compliment to the question and I didn't get to receive the compliment and I hated that. I was like, oh my God, I need the approval of this teacher. So, so I subscribed and now I write in those questions under my own name. But, but so that was kind of my journey into, into the uh, metaphysical uh, and high strange. That's uh, it's hilarious. I think that's Gordon's magic at work, pulling in people that belong. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, big time, big time, without a doubt. Absolutely, that's like, oh, you're a pirate. Welcome aboard. Right, what, totally. Uh, what course was current at the time that you joined, or that you were doing that? Was the Sigil yeah. course the current one? I think or? I think it would might have been like grimoires or something like that. It was. Oh, so um, it, was, it was fairly early then. It was fairly early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It around was, a while. Uh, been around a while yeah i mean you know like technically i've only been around for a little while but I yeah i, I was a, I was lurking for like a year and a half i think i i think i finally got a membership like halfway through the tarot course somewhere around there mm -hmm. so like not that long before like a year before covid started well mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. all right so I, this is funny. Like, do you have a relationship with Saint Cyprian at all, considering mm -hmm. their the love of purple? Yeah, I was wondering that too. Oh, is he a purple guy? <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know. No, yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't really do saints, and and like I'm new to Catholicism, and mm -hmm. like I'm only I'm only doing the rosary and stuff like this as a result of coming through. RSPM and yeah. like somebody gave me a rosary. Like I, I was not gonna get on the Catholic train at all. I don't, I, you know, I, I grew up Baptist. Like my dad would be so disappointed me in me praying the rosary right now. Like, like I don't, I didn't have any plans to get it in that direction at all. And and I still kind of don't, if I'm being real. Like I, I yeah. like the BVM and all this, and like the Mother of God. Like that seems like a cool concept to me. Yeah. But um. But I, I like as far as like saint magic and all this sort of stuff goes, like I don't really care. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's funny. I, I was I was very it was very um, irrelevant to me for a very long time. And now it's now it's slowly getting more and more absurd. But uh, I was kind of, I had a similar <laughs> a similar feeling about it. Like um, but I, I love that it was it was simply a color that brought you into all of this that is yeah, that is fucking fantastic i love, I love it like I'm, I'm seeing this shape emerge that i really love uh about just your character in general of like like i want to do the incredibles and i like you know you said like in our chat that you were like i, I basically like pop stuff man like i just like the <laughs> stuff that feels good and, and it's fun and i'm like like i love that and i love that that you're confident and cool with that because i feel like that's that's something people just like don't want to admit, even though it's true for a lot more people than than you see. Um, and it's and I think it's really cool to just own it and be like, yeah, it just makes me. I just like things that make me feel good. There's enough bullshit in the world. Like I just want to feel, you know, just feel good sometimes. Yeah, you know, and like one of the things that I noticed. So I'm from like small town middle America, and um, 
when I moved to New York, then I noticed that there was this feeling that was inside of me that I didn't realize had been like culturally ingrained into me. The sense of like being too cool for whatever is popular. Like I'm just too hip for that. <clears throat> and like there's a there's a Napoleonic situation there. Like if you're if you're from middle America, then you'll never be as cool as the kids in Brooklyn are. And so um, so there's this sense of like we don't need whatever they think is cool like we we're like the fuck what they fuck they're cool like we're fine however we are and we're just gonna like eat up this mess or whatever it is like it's a you know what i mean <laughs> and then moving to brooklyn then i realized that that and what the way that i realized it was um so um so i i like have this anarcho-punk queer lineage right in in middle america that's like uh there were I, I was a weird kid, but um, didn't really have anywhere to go. And so the only other weird kids were uh, white punk anarcho queer types. And so even though I wasn't that necessarily, um, it was where the weirdness was. And so I was hanging out with them. And so <clears throat> in that space, then uh, I wasn't really allowed to like hip hop and trap music and, uh, mm. you know, things that are there's there's an obviously problematic gender situation with hip hop and uh a bunch of uh like white punk kids are like not into listening to ludicrous and shit like that you know what i mean and so then i moved to brooklyn and i had this dream where i like lil wayne brought me back to my house in his limo <laughs> and he wanted to come inside and smoke blunts with us and I was like, I'm sorry, Lil Wayne, you have to stay in the car. I can't bring you in here. Like everyone's going to judge me for being like for being associated with you. I'm sorry, dude. Yeah, I would love to have you in, but I can't do it. And then I woke up and I <clears throat> I told my roommates and my girlfriend what I had been like this dream that I had had. And I was I told them about how I like had kept the the bad trap man at bay and they were like you fucking what you left lil wayne in the car you didn't bring lil wayne inside what the fuck is wrong with you and after that i was like oh like there can and like these were still still with anarchists like this was a house full of anarchist people and so i was like oh like there can be <clears throat> there can be a little bit of a nuance here or something like this. That was around the time that I started really getting into the Crunk Feminist Collective and Brittany Cooper and uh, this kind of thing and sort of like getting into uh, the the idea of like trap music as problematic, but also being this important art form that may or may not be like a, a, how, how problematic is, does a thing need to be before it gets canceled and shit like that. Like they're just like digging into the nuance of all that. But yeah, it was around that time that I realized that all of these things could exist together inside of me. You know what I mean? I can have my little, uh, I wouldn't even call them like leftist politics anymore, but like, uh, you know, like gender equality politics or whatever, however you want to like frame that, you know, I can, I can think that about uh, like femininity and the, the divine feminine and how important yin is and all this sort of stuff. Shout out to, uh, Ursula Le Guin again for talking about the yin as being a central component to the proper utopia and um, like all of these I can I can have a, a desire for that while all, at the same time 
listening to Lil Wayne and Ariana Grande and like, you know, the things that are like clearly manufactured, but they sound good. And so like, you know, how, how do we like exist in that space? And part of my whole thing is that like, I'm, uh, you know, I exist in the middle. I exist in between spheres all the time. Like I'm, I'm not a real, uh, essentialized form of any mm-hmm. particular group or I- identifier. And so because I always am going <clears> to <throat> be surfing in between there, <clears throat> excuse me, because I'm going to be surfing in between that, then existing with that and putting more things together. And that that's part of the reason why chaos magic was such a nice fit for me, because I didn't have to necessarily try to make everything fit into a, a right way to be or a right way to understand things things could just be as they are that's yeah beautiful and i think um one of the most important points that's been made on the show yet like <clears throat> i think uh I, I i hope that i mean i know we only we only have a few listeners at this point but man i i hope more people get to hear that message because um because nothing needs like almost nothing really ever needs to be canceled it just needs to be contextualized and it needs to be uh like properly so uh with multiple perspectives uh (laughs) and impact and like an education on everything like if you can't take bubblegum for bubblegum then like there's something wrong with the way you are relating to the world um because mm. it's it's just bubblegum and like well, well if if that bubblegum's affecting you or like if you're seeing a political message in that that's like affecting you in some way i think you might be reading too hard sometimes you know like there's this um people just need to get the like uh the right balance of what is what thing not everything needs to be uh, a political statement and not everything needs to be meaningful in any kind of deep way um uh, but not everything should be pure entertainment either. And I think there's like kind of a tendency to want everything to be congruent and work in all the ways all the time um, in one world. And like you're saying, chaos magic allows for multiple worlds to, to kind of cycle in and out. Sorry, well, well, that, well, that also, that also connects to that. What does that, there's that permaculture idea of like, there is no pollution, right? It's just like, it's, it's material in the wrong place um that sort of that sort of relates to that uh and what's funny is like the the other thing that this is making me think of like okay like like uh yeah syndrome's evil but fucking rocket boot boots are cool so like, <laughs> <laughs> so like uh and and that kind of gets to your point too about like the idea of like the propaganda and using it to your advantage like it's still there. It's just like what it's like what are you doing with the tool and like putting it in its right place and understanding that. Um you, you're gaining value that way. Unless it's a ring of invisibility that has weird glowing sigils on this on the inside. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you don't want to use the one ring the same way. Mm. 
Yeah, there are better invisibility invisibility spells than the One Ring. Yeah, the One seems... Ring carries a lot of like danger alongside it. We started he... doing the uh, somebody else's problem spell recently, and mm -hmm. I think it's great. That's a Douglas Adams joint. For those who don't know this, uh, Douglas Adams is the the author of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the, to the Galaxy, and um, the the somebody else's problem field is a far better invisibility spell especially for someone like me again like i attract a lot of attention i've mentioned this before like that that's just a fact and i realized this uh one time i got arrested for stealing something and i was sitting there in jail and i was like i gotta give up a life of crime they can see me they can see me too easy i gotta like <laughs> stop. i gotta stop doing this so um but because they can see me so easily, then we can maybe lean into a kind of clown car invisibility, right? So <laughs> the, uh, the somebody else's problem field is like, uh, Douglas Adams describes it as like, if there was, if suddenly a pink mountain just appeared in a, in a prominent park in town, then most folks would be like, what the fuck and it would like it would just be so outside their concept of reality that they would just look the other way and assume that it was somebody else's problem that's not for me to deal with i'm just going to continue to do my regular old park activities and hope that somebody else will deal with that right so there's this um you know it's like larger than life it's too much for any individual to when, the first time i saw this in a in effect it was before I had read The Hitchhiker's Guide, but um, I was a child and I was watching the E! Network. And um, I don't know if you guys remember that. It's like this uh, gossipy celebrity TV channel where they like oh, want to yeah. talk about all of the red carpet drama and whatever, whatever, right? <clears throat> so I was watching this and there was this show on where these normie types wanted to go to a red carpet event, but they were not invited. They weren't on the list. And so how are they going to get in? And so what they did was the lady wore this strapless gown and she grew her armpit hair out. And so then every time they got to a gated area where there was a guard or something like that, then it was time for her to shine. And so she would just be with her arms up posing and taking all the camera or taking all the pictures and like ready for the cameras. I'm ready for my close up. Here is my armpit hair. And all the guards would just look the other way because it's not what you're supposed to do when you're on the red carpet right <laughs> you're supposed to shave your armpits if you're on the red carpet especially if you're a lady and so uh because it was so like outside the norm and because it, it was like impolite and you're not even allowed to say anything about it the guards would literally look the other way and while they were looking the other way they would just walk in and so the first time I saw this, I was like eight years old watching this on the E! Entertainment Network or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, what? You can do this? And the fact is that yes, like there is a strong invisibility spell for, for anyone to use. Um, and it's gonna, it's gonna be a little more reliable than like the One Ring. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I think there's a, there's a famous uh, Crowley story where it's sort of a similar thing. Like he's like, I'm going to do an invisibility spell to go to this like really fancy smanchy Victorian era party. And what he does is he just shows up naked and they just yeah. completely. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. If you have so the balls to do that, then like do it yeah. up. 
you know? Um, so magically, ritually speaking, what do you, what would you use to empower and accompany that? Like, like, I'm sure there's some good stuff you could use to throw in, like, uh, I'm too weird to approach. I'm too, uh, like, I'm the guy with tinfoil hat and uh, playing a Casio. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like to where people yeah. just well, get so, that vibe from you and keep going, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, so a- I, the way that I have done it, <clears throat> which may not be, Uh, It may not be the best actual invisibility spell, but what I have found is that I've, I've done a bunch of sun magic for visibility. And what that has done for me is it has increased my celebrity, but it has made me on the day to day on the like regular level, it has made me difficult to approach. So I don't feel very approachable to individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, people feel very fine sliding into my DMs with their uh, conspiracy theories, but they don't because um, the the screen I think like helps them to relate to the sun because it's shining light into their eyes. But mm-hmm. the uh, on the regular on the day to day, people don't really feel comfortable approaching me. They feel like a little afraid, a little intimidated, or whatever. And so um, I have found sun magic to be very good for the somebody else's problem, like super wild and special. Like the, mm. the sun isn't very approachable, even though it's very interesting. Mm. It's very at home in itself. What, that's also that's also fascinating because it's also it's so bright, it's blinding, like you turn away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Add a little mercury a and trickster component in there. I like that a lot. I like the idea of um, having this sort of fabulousness about you, like a uh, like a, a little touch of like being a star that that's like in a healthy way that just kind of puts a barrier. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little bit of yeah. grease between you and anyone you need to slide out of or away from. Yeah, know? it's a little like if you show up to McDonald's in drag, like how many people are going to want to talk to that? Yeah, you might move to the front of the line. That's what I'm what, saying. Depending on what stop state, you. depending on what state you're in. Right. Well, well, the, well, the thing is, is that is that the people that do talk to you are going to be really interesting. Right. Well, that's <laughs> a, that's a thing. Also, I do attract crazies. Oh, and but, prob- probably. You know, if you want to be invisible, then crazy homeless types help. Yeah. <laughs> crazy homeless people will help you be invisible. Yeah. Yeah, I think that. I was love it. it like an old David Cross stand up where he said uh, like something about a guy with a tinfoil hat playing a Casio. And that just always stuck with me. He was talking about like New York city and how like, he's like, you can never decide if you're going to look at the most beautiful woman you've ever seen or the craziest man. <laughs> like that's what New York city's like. And I'm like, dude's totally. wearing a tinfoil hat with a Casio. And that just, that's like the perfect. Yeah. Except I actually want to like interview that guy and like like so what kind of channels are you picking up right now? Like <laughs> <laughs> it's a tinfoil hat, it's not a shield, it's an antenna. It's helping the ass. <laughs> that's that's a really good, really good technique. Thanks for sharing that stuff. That's that's really cool. I like I always like the unorthodox approaches because I think I think a lot of people uh, coming into magic um don't know like it's hard to be creative other than using force at first like you just think like uh make the thing happen but it's like there's just so many nuanced and um 
tactful and graceful ways of achieving the result you want with um without stepping on anyone what well it's also like i mean what you what you're doing zamboni is you're leaning into who you are that's the other Mm -hmm. thing like the other thing wouldn't work for you because that's just not who you are Mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Uh, like you're like so it's like adding to what is already there and that's that's also like really knowing that like there's some people that like their invisibility would be the whole like blend in and be the gray man kind of thing and that's gonna work <laughs> mm-hmm. for them and that's that's totally not you at all and yeah it's right. awesome yeah i'm really big on play to your strengths whatever those strengths are um you know like uh, so if if I'm in your group, then I'm not the guy who should carry the drugs, right? Because like police are going to talk to me, you know, but, um, but the gray man in the group might be good for carrying drugs or something like that. Right. Man, that's and what so I always tried to much... tell my friends. <laughs> <laughs> right. But they wanted you to carry the drugs because they, because <laughs> you well, look we... like you've got them. Well, they were my drugs. Right. Well, there's that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Rev, you taking people out and you ain't even sharing no drugs, man. Come on. Uh, this is sorry. why we can't take you nowhere. Just trying to, just fucking around. <laughs> You're like, but no, yeah, you know, no, that's yeah, part no. of the reason why. I was going to oh, say, well, no, you, don't, you don't understand. <laughs> I'm the shaman. I'm the shaman. I'm supposed to take the drugs for everybody. Don't, don't you get it? That's how that's worked. <laughs> No, no, I was the lead, lead this singer. This is Tolerates. <laughs> that was like, I'm sorry, like, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead, sorry. No, I don't. I was just saying, it's like being. I was just like the lead singer, so everybody has to tolerate you. It's like, oh well, we don't have a show if we don't like put up with him. <laughs> totally. Yeah, and you can get into diva stuff with the uh, with the sun for sure. Um, and uh, but you know, like part of that uh, genuine authenticity. That's part of the reason why I really love The Incredibles also is because so up to this point, I have described The, the Incredibles as Team America, World Police, also fuck the police. And so I've, I've been like sort of like not happy with The Incredibles up, up through this through this conversation. But there's this other half of things which uh, Rev, you spoke to um, briefly, which I think is kind of the more obvious point that uh, I haven't even mentioned up to this point, which is this this idea of like being a strong self and how not being a strong self ultimately turns into the situation that is untenable, it's unsustainable, it's uncomfortable, you can't live in it. Like, um, I think there's this really great image of Mr. Incredible driving this tiny car and like it's he's bigger than this is the idea that we we get with that right and so the this this sense of like leaning strongly into whoever you are and then that being the thing that is most needed in the world and i feel like that's that's kind of where where they're trying to go with the incredibles when when they were making the incredibles and they were like okay we're gonna uh make a commentary and it's gonna go in this direction i think that's what they were intending to do when they made the super beautiful monument of what america am and how like flawed and terrible the the military industrial complex is and all this sort of stuff i think that was accidental i think they just did that 
because that's the nature of what's actually going on and they couldn't help themselves but to make that commentary but i think the commentary that they were trying to make which is a very american sun bald eagle kind of uh point to make is that like i am me so strongly that if i if i am not allowed to be who i am then it causes all these problems it causes problems in the nuclear family dynamic it, it causes problems in the marriage dynamic it causes problems in the parent child dynamics it causes problems in the workplace it causes problems in all these areas because i simply cannot be who i am strongly enough Yeah, it's it's also it's also interesting that um, that theme, like his little tiny car, which is also a box, like that's that whole that's that whole section is just him in tiny boxes the entire time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, and uh, and and so that is that's the thing, like that you get the the dreamscape of America, the mythology of America is like. At its core, there is something that's that is wonderful about it, but mm -hmm. it's just surrounded by all this other shit that is, that like that just brings it down. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, the emperor would be real cool if he didn't have to have an empire under him. Yeah, exactly. seems like a pretty cool dude the rest of the time. <laughs> Which I think is kind of what you're connecting to. That's what you're, you're the emperor without the empire. That's what you're leaning into. I think, I think it comes down for me, like it, this, this works and is true for the individual. This does not work for a nation. Mm, mm, that's an interesting point. You can't have the ego of a superhero and be a fucking country trying to be in the world and have geopolitics you can be a person in the world and be a star and like get along but like you the identity of a complex nation like the states it's it's an infinitely comp like everybody's there every like kind of person there's one of them in the states at least it's like mm -hmm. uh so yeah you, you can't you can't represent all of them with this one archetype. You really can't use a fucking archetype. And that's, that's why we have like, you know, throat to throat, like politics, like people strangling mm. each other, beating each other. It, I think there's, there's something to be said for just not, yeah, not being so goddamn polarized, I guess, <laughs> but yeah you know that kind of that that's really interesting and has me thinking in a new direction that i haven't thought with up to this point so um i might be wrong i likely have been wrong this whole time but um the especially on this point but it makes me think about the way that charles eisenstein speaks to the identity crisis and the meaning crisis not only in america but in the world at large and so when he speaks to the problem of identity right now, the it's he he speaks to it as the story of separation, right? Or this this identity that is isolated from others, that is not in relation to other people. And so this can feel like a sunny kind of dynamic, right? Where like I am so bright that I constitute the whole system. I am the thing, right? 
And so, and there's an element of truth to that. I have found a lot of power in uh, sun magic and in in the the idea of being as the sun. And I am a strong American child. It's just who I am. And so I have this strong ethos of like I can do it. Whatever whatever is like you know whatever uh, problems might come my way or or whatever it is i as an individual can surmount that problem and, and because i have my freedom and my ability to do it and my bootstraps and whatever right so like i have found that to be very strong and true while at the same time recognizing that the separateness that is inherent in that style of identity that kind of identity that is like i don't need anybody else i don't need no man like that kind of feeling, which is true at in the one place, ultimately comes around to be like, but is it it like is there nothing underneath the floor there? You know, like if there, it, how can we gr be grounded or rooted somewhere if we are ultimately disconnected? Yeah, yeah. the 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 danger of that energy is that you don't have you don't have friends you have servants like mm, that mm -hmm. that's 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 Shout out to the syndrome real, and mirage yeah that's the really that's the that's the scary part of it that's the dark side of it um yeah yeah and sometimes those people convince themselves they have friends because it's like the servant you trust the most that you because you've broken them the most or something <laughs> what, what what what's also, it's also funny because once the once the light dims which is kind of what's happening to the u.s right now everybody turns on you right because it's it's also like oh that part. Well, yeah like well we can also like we can also come to the what, there's now room for us to exist on this stage and so and so that that since the the light's dimming the identity is shifting now there's room for others to to come to the forefront um and if they've always been if they if the context was only they could be servants of course they're going to turn on you it reminds me of whenever like uh, the trope of whenever the minions or whatever like the the remote stops working or the spell stops working on the the monsters and the good guys just like hop away and say goodbye. And then like the bad guy is like slowly the monsters all turn on the one that was controlling them. Um, mm -hmm. The Lion King of... has a good example of this where the Highlanders yeah, yeah, go yeah, into yeah. the scar. I, I love it bringing to Disney. Yeah. Dude, that's, that's one of my all time movies for me. Mm. Yeah, Scar and Jafar were like major style influences on me as a child. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Oh my god! Like to have this fucking beard with the, and the uh, eyeliner and was like, ooh. Far when I grow up. The stupid, <laughs> the stupid hyena was my my jam. I forget his name. <laughs> the bo the bobcat. Oh no no no! The one that didn't even talk. Right? There was one that was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ridiculous. I loved it. That was my shit. That was my shit. It was like that and Jim Carrey, and I liked Daffy Duck a lot. All the nuts. Mm, mm -hmm. The slapstick. Yeah, yeah. Like people Jaf made their faces, their own faces, melt off. That kind of thing. Jafar mm. was pretty awesome, though. He he had some he had some style. Mm -hmm. I'm fucking sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those robes and that hat and the like cane <laughs> yeah. to go with it. 
like that was one of the first try. I, I did so feel like uh, like a real resonance with that character when I was younger because like I was always mystified by the shaman character and fucking everything, like more than the wizard. I was always into like the the dirt and and uh, bones and <laughs> that kind of mm-hmm. yeah always yeah. It was always me. I always had a resonance with the villains and even in the Incredibles films, like mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> there's. Like I, I really identify with the villains in a in a strong way that I that I think is really important. And like, having said that, you know, around uh, having said all this stuff around syndrome is the military industrial complex and whatever, whatever, right? And like, and I, and I and I still fuck the police, you know. That how how can we like have a kind of resonance there? And you know, like there, I I can still relate to the scorn that he feels, and I can still relate to, um, you know, like the this idea of wanting to be super powered and but like where if there's like just in touching that power then what are the consequences of being in relationship to that and um Mm. you know and other people who are not super powered how does that are they super powered you know this gets back to kind of like um jesus walking on water and then being like no peter you can totally do this this is this is not that hard and then peter goes out and he makes it three steps and he's like oh snap look at me on the water and then it, it's in that moment that he like starts to fall and jesus has to go and like hoist him up and be like motherfucker and jesus laughs on the, jesus on the laughs. he's just like oh man i'm just fucking with you <laughs> right so you know and, and so there's that you know if you're a jesus type then you're going to be like yo walking on water is really not that hard like i conjure miracles on the regular it's not that big a deal like you can do this too i'm not special and you know that so there there's that inclination toward everyone can be super but then if everyone's super then no one is and like so what does that mean how do we like that i kind of like being special I mean, I think that that get that gets the whole like everybody's special in their own way kind of thing. Um, right, right. Everyone's a unique snowflake. Snowflake, yeah. What, Except I'm also, more ne- unique than everyone unique else's. Than yeah, I have I have more points on the ends of my. Yeah, what, what's also it's also funny because it's like it, it goes back to what we were saying earlier about syndrome is that he is a he is a superhero. He's a fucking super genius, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. he can't recognize that in himself. And that's what Ooh. that's what maybe that's what makes him the villain is because yeah. like he's beholden to what his hero thinks of as a superhero, and so he can't or what his culture perhaps. Yeah, so he his can't culture sees athleticism as and, super heroism. But yeah, because he doesn't fit that mold, mold. then he can't even see himself yeah. as a hero. Yeah. So it's a story about uh, masculine oppression. Absolutely, one hundred percent. There's the you can't get away from the the super gendered piece that The Incredibles is. Like The Incredibles, I like I said at the beginning, like a cautionary tale in heteronormativity. Like all we see is heteronormativity all throughout. Even the villain isn't coded as queer. Like everybody in this film is straight as fuck. And the and we see we see the consequences of that. Yeah. You know, like 
nobody is well functioning in the film. Nobody is good. Mm -hmm. Even the children suck. See, like, it's funny because that's that's not even like, um, like, I don't even, that's not something that's on my radar. I don't notice that kind of thing when I take something in usually, uh, hardly at all. Um, I'll notice the if, gender dynamic, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I don't notice things like that very much. Like maybe later I'll be reflecting and I'll be like, hey, wait a second, you know, you know? but it's like always an afterthought because I'm more just there for like feelings and like the experience mm. and like kind of, I don't, yeah, I don't often look all that deep, but I think. Uh, okay, really well, in that case, I'd really maybe like to say some explicit points about the gender dynamic. Well, it's, I think it's Is really interesting cool? you pointing it out because it, yes, but I, I just think it's really cool you're pointing out because I really resonate with what we just got to the bottom of with uh, this definitive episode on the Incredibles uh, about how the, the gender expectation is essentially the root of why there was a villain in the first place, because if he had been sure of himself and supportive and being like intellectually, uh, you know, that that's a, that that's a strength and felt empowered by that. Cause I was the fucking kid that sat in the corner. Like I was a kid that got beat up by the, you know, the kid that, I think probably a lot of people in room soup were, but, <laughs> but well, like... well, probably also the guy that made it was probably, I don't think Brad Bird pro was probably not the like super cool athletic dude. He was probably like syndrome. I mean, he was an animator. He was an animator and filmmaker. They're not, they're typically, mm -hmm. they don't typically come from the, the cool popular athletic people stock. That's generally mm -hmm. not who makes the stuff. Um, so I, you know, I could see him identifying more with syndrome than <laughs> with Mr. Incredible. Mm. Yeah. And, and well, actually, in fact, in a meta level, isn't, I mean, it's, it's a guy who has this like technological power to make a, to build a world and tell a story exactly how he wants, because that's what CG animation allows you to do. So yeah, he's definitely more connected and related to syndrome than he is to Mr. Incredible. <laughs> One thing I don't know if I mentioned yet, but they, I thought it was cool that there was the, the, the supers all had abilities that they didn't explain where they came from. They just seemed to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't catch, unless I'm wrong, like I didn't catch any explanation for the powers. Um, uh, they're born. Mm -hmm. There was them, no basically. explanation. Okay, yeah, so they're... so then there's these natural powers, these super. Yeah, it's an emanation powers. of self. Right. So then, the technology is also an emanation of self, but I don't know. I feel like there's an archon angle here, but it's like in this case he was self-expressing, but it but it it only arose like these weapons of power that he made, um, they only arose because he was driven to do something that was like, to achieve something he didn't have himself or to crush someone that had the thing he didn't have. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's like I, that, I, that expression is warped. And I wonder, like, you know, he wouldn't be building military industrial complex stuff. He wouldn't be building these weapons of destruction and stuff if that weren't the case. He would still be doing technology, right? It would still be some kind of expression with his science mind um, with because he's got that kind of inclination. Yeah, I think the arconic angle is the blindness to and it, the blindness to himself. 
and the weaponry. What well, because the weaponry <laughs> is 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 using his genius to create mechanical versions of what the superheroes can do, essentially. Yeah. Well, also, if we look at the word archon, it means boss, right? And mm-hmm. Syndrome ultimately wants to be the boss of the scenario. He wants to control the narrative and he wants to control the whole dynamic. He wants to like be the bit, he wants to make himself into the biggest superhero slash celebrity. And then um, once he does that, then he can sell all of his uh, wares and all this sort of stuff, right? So he wants to control this narrative. Now this I think is importantly uh, opposed to Mr. Incredible who uh, and the Incredibles who don't actively want to control the narrative. They trust the state to control the narrative in a way that is for the greatest good, right? So when they when they say for the greatest good, then it means criminals go to jail at the end of it, right? We we frequently see people getting into police cars uh, as uh, like the the resolution of Mr. Incredible or Last Girl's uh, conquest or whatever, right? So they don't actively want to control in the way that syndrome wants to control it himself he doesn't trust the state to uh to perform the narrative that he wants he's gonna make that narrative happen his own self he's gonna become the state yeah exactly he's gonna become the state which makes him the boss which i think is like is part of the reason why we can sort of like see uh incredible boy as the and syndrome as the the natural conclusion of the law enforcement angle that uh, Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl talk about, or that uh, that they push, but they don't they don't recognize that they're caught up in that because they think they're doing good. Whereas mm-hmm. syndrome is like fuck good, I'm gonna do what I think is right or, or what I like, you know. Yeah. He's, which I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why the villains are so relatable to me because they. Like at no point does Syndrome get into good and evil and what even am morality and that sort of stuff. He just does what he thinks is he would like the most, you mm-hmm. know, and and there's a there's something there that it like feels it feels like it brings it back to that local level to me as far as like doing magic and st- stuff like that, you know, like ordering the world according to my will, like mostly that's going to just be like. I'm going to bring up the things that I want or the things that I like. And that may or may not be good. That may or may not be villainous, but like it's the stuff that I like. And so, and I have the power to bring that about. So I'm going to. Mm. I think think a decent way to make a distinction there would be to say, are you bringing about what you want or are you helping someone else, else specifically achieve their own desire? Like if you, because there, there are ways to do that where, you know, not <laughs> um, like not doing interventionism and not just seeking self, but still acting and still doing it in a way that's, um, uh, I don't know, considerate. And by that, I mean, like considerate of all possibilities involved and just like, like some kind of pure helping. Um, where you, you don't get your own desires involved at all. It's just like a someone wants this thing done, so I'm going to help them do that thing. Well, that's the mutual flourishing, right? That's the ideal, is that, um, is that there's a benefit to both. Yeah. Hmm. 
but uh so zamboni you were about to go into the the whole the queer gender aspect to the movie oh yeah yeah sorry <laughs> sure yeah, yeah yeah so i so i wasn't i was going to say anything about queerness because there's no queerness to be had in the film but mm. um there's a gender play and you know so if i were coming from the left and i wanted to come at it from an identity politics angle then um i would probably look at elastigirl and violet and i would just take a look at what at their role you know i mentioned elastigirl in this bridge called my back right which is uh you know it's very much about sort of carrying the family and, literally with her own body and her the flexibility of her own body and her own bodily function to uh usually and usually there's like a supportive role in that um she she does use that to like punch bad guys in the face sometimes and like i said nobody makes it to the end of the film without a body count but um she uh, but that's mostly not what she does. It's mostly a supportive role. We can also look at Violet, who has an entirely supportive role. She has a shield that she can put up, and then she has she can become invisible. So that's entirely defensive. There's nothing there that it that can be used offensively at all. Um, and so um, now this is not to say that she also doesn't escape without a body count because she totally has uh, has lives on her hands at the end of it. But um, but but for her it's a little it, the whole thing is much more defensive rather than aggressive in the way that the athletic boys in the family are like they go out and they crush stuff or whatever so so we can look at that and see how obviously gendered it is and we can um and then we can look at so there's this storyline where at the beginning of the story then uh there is then everybody is sort of like, um, you know, dysfunctional or whatever. And then at the end of the story, then everyone has leveled up in whatever kind of way. And so Violet's arc is that she can't talk to boys. And then at the end, she receives the attention from boys and is confident enough to be uh, to be a pretty girl and to handle boys attention and so we can look at that and be like this is fucking whack like this is not the way that we want to see strong girls represented this is not the way that we want to see uh you know this is not the representation that we want our daughters to to see and to then grow up to be and the, all this sort of stuff right so if i was going to come from the left from an identity politics angle that is the the direction that I would go with that. And there's a certain truth to that, right? Violet is a whack-ass character who, um, who, like, there's, there's just no depth to that character and um, she just doesn't do anything interesting. Now, my take on that is that if we then look at her parents and we look at the heteronormative angle that they have, and we look at Elastigirl's commitment to uh, state normalcy, 
how Elastigirl wants us to fit in more than anything else. She doesn't care if we are being who we are. She doesn't care if we are being authentic and true and genuine. She doesn't care about any of that. She wants her husband to go to his insurance job and she wants her children to fit in with the other kids. She wants to do regular mom shit all the time. They have this like very strong nuclear heteronormative dynamic, which includes terrible communication which includes brute strength uh, winning of conflict. There's no conflict management that doesn't include like a, a clear winner who destroyed the other one or just shutting the whole thing down. Like, I just want to have dinner. Maybe we should just have dinner instead of talking, instead of yelling at each other or whatever it is, right? And so we see that family dynamic and we see those parents. And then we can look at Violet and be like, how could we ever have expected her to be or do anything else? This is the only way that she possibly could live her life. These are the only examples that she's ever seen. And so um, if, you know, if she wants to be like her mom, then which is something that kids want to do, then and her examples are incredible and Elastigirl, then like all she's gonna want is a boy's attention. You know, she's gonna be like real regular. She's gonna sell herself short all the time. Like if we if we use superpowers as an emanation of self, then her superpower is to make herself invisible. Yeah. Like, you know, that, and I feel like she grew into that. You know, there, there's this whole Jack-Jack thing where it's like, um, you know, he, he's not old enough to know what his superpowers are yet or whatever, right? And so there's this feeling that she probably grew into a superpower that made, made her want to be invisible all the time and to like, to not have to engage in that direction. And so that's why I want to subtitle it A Cautionary Tale in Heteronormativity, not because um, the, the parents are so whack, even though they are, but like, we can see how that then goes to make these whack ass children and dash who is like uh who is the polar opposite to that right dash is like super proud of himself and like doesn't give a shit about the rules and all this sort of stuff like he's like all super into his super powered and his super athletic ability and all this stuff that's like gonna get him girls later we can see how like in the moment where mr incredible uh like comes back and he like doesn't have to work at the insurance agent as an insurance agent anymore and he can do his superhero thing then he starts getting all the pussy after that right like M mrs incredible like can't let him leave the house anymore because uh because he's getting it in and so like there's if this is the dynamic and and that whole premise is also built on a lie that he is still an insurance agent and be and because of his uh, ability to ex excel as an in insurance agent that is the thing that is getting him pussy from his wife like that is a whole dynamic which is super problematic and unquestioned throughout the film and then as we make it to the end of the film then we see how it's just like we're just going to continue to propagate this dynamic here and and so that's that's kind of why i love it as 2004 america right it, it sees it it sees what's going on and has enough wherewithal to question it but then it's just like nope we're just going to do this some more Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't have caught, I wouldn't have caught uh, some of that, 
but most of it was pretty obvious. I mean, the, 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 the daughter, um, yeah, literally there wasn't anything to her character at all, except there was no texture or depth whatsoever, except her powers. And like, I guess that, that last scene, <laughs> right? Where <laughs> she gets the attention. <laughs> um, but like I also her other power is shielding herself mm-hmm. so like that's also sucks <clears throat> right and there's like there's no it it's it bases itself in this young model of reality that it, it's like very shoot em up you know what I mean? And so since shoot em up is what's going on, then uh, a shield is what we need to uh, deflect that rather than, um, you know, like there, if we if we really want to think about yin uh, models of power, then we, we really should think about things like digestion. It's like dark all the way inside your body, right? On on the outs, none of the none of the light and the yang things from the outside, the motion and all that stuff, none of that makes it to the inside. So you put things inside your body and it's all uh, invisible and it's all dark in there. And then through this invisible process, you go about turning a strawberry into your body. There's this like really amazing and invisible um, and nourishing potential, which is inherent in that. So we could think about yin power as being the power of digestion and assimilation. We could also think about yin power as the power of motherhood and uh, generating and creating and cultivating a next kind of power, right? And so there's a lot of um, in in sort of more ancient imperial ideologies, there's something really strong about the mother uh, generating the next emperor and raising the next emperor and, and raising a power um, to, to be the right kind of power and this kind of thing. And so we don't see any acknowledgement of this kind of power at all in The Incredibles. And so we then see the Incredibles just repeating the same form and continuing to not save the city. Hmm. Clearly I've gone off the deep end here. (laughs) No, no, I was just thinking about like uh, how there are kind of instances like her Violet's capacity to create a shield becomes more powerful when it turns into a container than other things can mm. like like she like her power is really being about support right because there's mm. that there's that scene in the movie where like she creates the shield and like those like razor saw blade ships and then like dash mm. dash runs inside of it like a hamster ball and then suddenly the, their two powers combined become this much more like powerful thing um and and it's funny because that's also a very yin thing the idea of being like a container of holding space for for Mm. things to potentiate within them Mm. Mm. yeah violet could be cool they just like it just wasn't she she's not ready to be cool you know she's gonna yeah. have to go through 15 years of like being like i don't know am i gay or like something like that you know <laughs> but 
before she comes out as the cool ass auntie who who can like potentiate your powers or whatever you know what <laughs> i mean like violet could go in that direction um but but i don't think she she will based on her family upbringing you know what i mean she's gonna have to like have a uh a crisis of faith or something like that in order to arrive at that at that place where where we the chaos magicians would like her to be she's gonna have to have a Jungian therapist to uh... <laughs> perhaps perhaps she's definitely gonna need therapy no matter what happens this bitch is definitely gonna need therapy oh yeah I you know man my, my wife was like doing stuff in the kitchen she was experimenting baking while I'm watching it today in the middle of the afternoon and and she's just like is this this isn't for kids is it <laughs> and I'm like not for our kids <laughs> our kids will never watch the incredibles because this Word. is everything i hate about american families like when they're all in dinner mm -hmm. and they're fucking Absolutely. all loud and yelling at each other and just being horrible Terrible. and the worst and the way that it was just so normalized like that to me mm -hmm. that was the most offensive thing in it and the mm -hmm. gender stuff registered second to me to that because it was just so like if this is what people think of as the nuclear family, then I understand why people want to, some people want to destroy it, but this isn't actually what the nuclear family is. <laughs> like, that's not what a real nuclear family looks like. Um, that's what a mess of human beings who never grew up looked like. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I th well, the the point of those scenes too is that is that the family is in dysfunction, right? Mm -hmm. Like no one's doing what they're they're all they're not honest about who they are, right? Yeah, I think it's the dishonesty that I think is mm -hmm. like the real thing that they're trying to get at there, right? Because it, throughout that family dynamic, like uh, Mister Incredible is lying about his job. And uh, like Elastigirl is like it is aware of the disingenuity of all that and just like doesn't really touch it. And the children are not allowed to be who they actually are. And you know, like it's that it's that dishonesty that is that is really showing through in those family scenes. The, the inability to communicate to one another with one yeah. another. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. I just think like even in families where they're dishonest, if you talk to each other like that, you're assholes. <laughs> like, I, yeah, totally. I, I just like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't eat dinner at their house if I was starving. I don't know, man, being hungry, you take, take food from a lot of places. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd gladly take it and leave. But... <gasps> I'd get half. That was the whole thing. That was what, one of the things that uh, that helped me fall away from Christianity, like from, from the like evangelical brand of key, uh, Christianity that I was given as a youth. Um, one of the pastors was like, "If there's a if there's a drug dealer in town, and he's giving away sandwiches. You better not take a sandwich." I was like, "Motherfucker, I'm hungry. I'm taking one of these sandwiches. We will sort this out later." <laughs> <laughs> what if he makes the best goddamn sandwiches too? You don't know. I'm saying, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we don't give me that bullshit. This one's free. Uh huh. <laughs> First one's free, man. But man, you gotta get one of these fucking sandwiches. I can't keep going. I gotta get. I gotta get some more. I keep going back. They're so fucking good. I don't know what they're putting in these things, but they're good. 
That's I mean, so it's like Frank White and the, uh, you know, giving away the the turkeys in the in the hood for Thanksgiving. Nobody has a nobody has a turkey for Thanksgiving, and he's like, or for Christmas, and he's like, come, coming out with the back of the truck, and he's like giving back to the community and all this. <laughs> you know what I mean, the same community that he's been selling dope to this whole time. You know, like, does that does that happen? Dope guys do that shit. Uh, it did at a certain point um so the, this that i'm referencing i i'm referencing the movie american gangster starring denzel washington which is based okay. on a true story yeah. um and so that did actually happen i don't know any dope boys who have been giving away um yeah i'm gonna say you know, like food I, and this kind of thing i feel like but yeah kind of gave up on doing the whole like like mafia bit a while back like I, I feel there could be right. this like well the seventies like, was really hard on black people and drugs. You yeah. know what I mean? The whole Cointel Pro thing happened and yeah. and and all this, you know, like a the and then we can we can also talk about integration as a as a thing which may or may not have been terrible for black communities, you know, and like uh so I'll the the situation is different now than it was at that point in history. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's I mean, as an ex crack addict, I I surfed that the like ripples from that wave, you know. <laughs> it's really interesting mm -hmm. how that uh a few decisions made by the government affect a whole lot of fucking lives, you know? It just keeps happening and happening and happening. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is part of the reason why I really can't stand Elastigirl's trust of the state. She just like loves the state so much and just like wants you to like assimilate to whatever they're doing you know like their their brand of morality is the correct one and so even if that means that they make us illegal then they still have the correct brand of morality because they're the state like, right right it's deferring I, to god uh it's basically sure like, yeah it's when your own judgment is relinquished as a rule for another power like well that's just bad don't do it <laughs> well i mean i mean i think that i think that plugs into the whole thing of like when people have families often it's just like i just want the kids to be fed and fucking survive another day so there's this yeah. there is this capacity to like let's not let's not make waves because i'm just trying to get I'm just trying to raise my kids like i'm just trying to get the i'm just trying to keep them alive another day like I think there's a there's a part of that too that's that's kind of because I, I I think I think often there's there's a lot of shit that it's easier to take stances on when you don't have those like and in fact mm -hmm. I think it I think it requires another level of bravery when you're like no I'm not even even at the cost of of how this may inconvenience my my children I think it's I can't, I can't let them, I can't be this example. Like I can't, I can't let them see, see me conforming to this. Like I, but, but it's, it, I, I think there's this, there's a whole other level. I, I mean, I don't have kids. I, I, Zamboni, do you have kids? I don't, I, I don't. don't, you don't. Yeah. And like, yeah. So yes, I, here I am talking shit on mothers. I don't have any idea what I'm talking about. Definitely don't listen to me. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think, I think it's, I think there's still, I think, I think it's still, it's still good to talk it through, but I, but I do think there is some, cause I've, I've heard people talk about this, like where suddenly they're more prone to compromising their ideals mm -hmm because of their kids being 
and, and I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's such a, such a complex fucking thing. Well, so this, to my mind, gets a little bit back to that Charles Eisenstein story of separation sort of situation, right? So if I am the only thing in between my children and starvation, then I got to make a lot of shit happen quick. And I don't, I don't necessarily know how I'm going to do that. And if that means that I'm going to compromise my morals because I need to get some food in some mouths real quick, then that's what I'm going to do because I am the only one, right? That's part of the reason why it takes a village to raise a child, because it's not just about me. If I like, it, as soon as it becomes this isolationist identitarian event where it's all on the one person's shoulders or two, if we've got a two parent household, who, by the way, has two parents in 2022? Like, who the fuck are you? I don't know anybody like this. I don't know. None of my friends got two parents. But um, so if it all comes down onto the, even four shoulders at a time, then there's this, uh, you know, like the whole weight of everything, not just the food, but the, the and the and not just the price of things, but all of everything, like finding a prop appropriate shelter, like not just paying the rent in the shelter, but going and looking at the housing and finding if it's the right one and moving in and all the all of the work that that requires just to live just being able to live comes down to all on one person. That's part of the reason why I don't have children because um, if at the end of the day, it turns out that I can't handle it and I end up going hungry, then it's not that big a deal. Uh, like I'll just be hungry, I'll be fine. I'll be grumpy with that and like, a, you know, like maybe I'll hustle harder tomorrow or something like this. But like, if it's just, if, if I die about it, like, okay. You know, the, like I've been yeah. I've been stranded in the jungle before and been like, OK, look, if I die, then I die. That's how it goes down. You know, but if you've got kids, then you got to figure it out. You got to do something else. And so this speaks to the importance of relationality, the, the importance of working together, of cooperation um, rather than this sense of like, it's all about me. And if it's all about me, then I'm going to end up compromising a lot of things that otherwise would have been important. And and that's the other that's the other danger of the nuclear family, right? Is that it's mm -hmm. it is it is that isolation, but in a group. And so, what your larger community becomes is the state, right? Mm -hmm. That's that yeah. that that's 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 the that's the other horrible side to it. That's where the well, that's what churches are for a lot of times. I'm sorry, say again, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I was gonna say that's where the the arconic prophylaxis uh, that slides between us and separates us comes into play. Mm. It's like, if you keep people distanced, then you keep them controlled because they automatically defer to the next um, stable source of, of power and resource, which if you mm -hmm. keep that the mm -hmm. state, then you keep the state daddy. But if you distribute the, uh, the, the responsibilities of food and child rearing and craft making and resource management and all these things on a local, more condensed level, then you have uh, a robust system and you have literally no need whatsoever for any kind of state government. Mm. And this will be our last show of the soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> if you find me with two bullet wounds to the head, it wasn't me. <laughs> what, no matter so, what the what, paper says. What's that weird buzzing sound? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kurt, Kurt's ex, extra crispy now. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs>
Uh, Havana crispy. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, let's see here. Sadly, Havana crispy sounds very delicious. I know. I was kind of wondering what it was. I'm thinking something sweet and tangy, but definitely meat and cooked on an open flame. Uh, definitely pork. Yeah. God. Oh, God. oh fucking I might have Cuban. Cuban pork is so good. Oh God. You know, Europe's great and all, but uh, I like. I love. I love Denmark so much. The only thing, like, there's not. There's. There's a few Danish dishes that I really love, but. I pretty. Much, I don't think one day goes by that I don't long deeply for tacos. Like I miss tacos so fucking bad. Like from taco trucks with just lettuce cilantro or just onion cilantro and lime and just meat and like I I just want tacos and we can't we can't get tacos. There's a simple elegance to the taco that I think is just it, it you know there, there's a perfection to that art form when i was in uh mexico I, I i went to costa rica for a while and then like went to mexico to renew my visa or whatever so i was like hanging out in mexico for a little while and um ran out of money while i was there and so i had the equivalent of like 40 cents in my pocket and then i went and bought two amazing tacos oh, holy shit that's <laughs> incredible <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. Like I was, and and they were like the best tacos I'd ever eaten in my life. You know what I mean? And it was just like this art form is so perfect. Like you cannot improve on this amazing piece. Please, may I have another? It's it's, it's like the pinnacle of everything. It's just here's everything you need in the world wrapped up, and you can hold it, and you can walk and eat it at the same time if you really need to. For real, for real. And the lady I was with at that time, she was like are you seriously going to go get tacos again? I was like, I'm in fucking Mexico. Yes, I'm going to get tacos again. I'm going to eat all of the tacos in all of Mexico. Try and stop me. Uh, that that particular like type of like real taco too, where it is that simple with the cilantro and the onions and the meat is so fucking good. And the lime. And the oh, sauce. Man. The sauce is and, real. Yeah. Is the... Is, a major component that I've often find lacking in um, North American facilities. Who knows what they have in Denmark, but uh, here in Missouri, they they sleep on the sauce. Well, here, okay. And I think first they cover it up with cheese and other shits is what they tend to do. First of all, are you guys uh, Verde or Roja guy, people? Do you? I, I'm, I'm, well, I'm. It depends on the meat, I'm, of course. Okay. Uh, that's okay. true, but I'm I'm I kind of lean more towards Verde. I really love Verde sauce. Same, same. Yeah, I I, typically, yeah. I, I go back and forth, but I usually know the Verde is not going to be like too spicy for me. I guess. I I but I also love mixing them. I'll put them both on there sometimes. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's very like in the moment. Whatever the right sauce is for that moment seems like the right one to me. You know, and the. The sauce that I got and on that particular day, that particular taco truck with the with the twenty cent tacos, they um, it was a it was a more it was a greenish, but it was a very brown and kind of vinegary sauce. Mm. That I, I I was definitely like on team when in Rome 
You know what I yeah. mean? Like I saw yeah. this sauce and was like, I don't know. And I put it on the, <laughs> on the taco and I was like, I don't know where this sauce has been my whole life. But it's amazing. <laughs> and I've never had anything like it since. Like it was, a, it was in that one spot in Tulum. Like, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, I, when, it, when I had a full-time job, this, the, one of my coworkers brought me back a hot sauce from where the hell did she get it? I think it was like Columbia. Mm. It was like a bottle hustle from Columbia. And like, it was so good. And I cannot fucking find it here. Even in New York, I can't fucking find the sauce. I'm like, God damn it. Like, how dare you do this to me? Like, you give me the best sauce that I've ever had in my entire life. And I have no idea how to fucking claim it. It's, it's an exercise in the ephemeral nature of beauty. You know, it's the it's the mandala that you spend years make with the colored sand, and you just like make it the most beautiful thing, and then it's on display for three weeks before you like sweep it up. (laughs) Eventually, it just turns into a dream. For real, I mean, this memory that you have of this hot sauce, like, are you gonna? If you if you promised, like, I swear to God, I had this bottle of hot sauce, like, you would not be able to convince me. You know what I mean? Like it exists only in your head. So now, now if you ever do find another one, it's so mythic to you that you can't use it. You have to make like an altar to it. Well, you make two, or you buy two. You find the one, and you you like. Well, no, wait, wait. Let me get two bottles of this. This one's going on the altar. Well, see, but this one's going on the tacos. I like that. I like that. If if you could only get one. If you deified it and then like, like, I don't know, mix some, some holy materials in there and like really fancy it up and and chant the fuck out of it. Maybe you could get it to where it's like, or or maybe like there's a, find a saint who, who made the wine never run out. Right. And, and, and get them hanging out on the same, and then you just make it like a, a bottle of plenty that never runs dry. And it's just this mythic bottle of hot sauce. Like that becomes well, they, this holy relic that everyone comes and like takes of the sacrament. Have you ever heard of Mama Juana before? No. Mm-mm. Sounds fun. It's a it's a um it's a similar situation in DR in D- the Dominican Republic. Uh, they take a bottle of rum and they put a bunch of magic herbs in it, and um and then you you like take a little bit out for your ritual purposes, or maybe you're just fucking drinking because you're because you're you're in the middle of a dominoes game who knows what's going on in dominican <laughs> republic but um they uh but then after that's done then they'll just like pour a little more rum on the top and then and then they've got this like magic bottle of ceremonial sauce that they, that is like available at any moment that you can always just like add a little rum to the top and you're and you're good to go again oh that's great that's what i do with holy water i mean why not sure <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the other thing, before we get too far away from it, I just want to point out that then Zamboni, your approach to sauce and tacos is very astrological because it's all about Mm. the time and the position. No, that's that's funny. I actually thought the same thing, but I thought it in a different way because right when you said, I kind of just depends on what it is. I just like go, you know, whatever I'm feeling at the time. And I'm like, that's a very solary scorpionic answer. Yeah. Totally, what, totally. Which, I, I'm strong sun in Scorpio for sure. So there's that which which maybe implies that somewhere out there is a is a grimoire of hot sauces of all the different planetary hours that would be perfect for. Yeah, I think it's in uh, Hillary Clinton's bag, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
there's definitely something demonic in there. I don't know what. Exactly. <laughs> and she's like, it's like, oh no, I I bring my own. And you hear like demons screaming as she opens the cap and like pours a little on her taco. <laughs> it's just a severed head that the blood comes Look, out of the if, mouth over there. If I was sitting at that it. table and I heard those demons screaming. I'd be like, yo, would you put a little bit out on, on my plate over here? <laughs> see what you're working with. I just want to taste. I draw a triangle on the table. And then... Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're much you're much more responsible than I am. You got kids, so like you you got to well, make sure you get out of that. I'm I'm diving in there. Let me no, see. I don't, well, I don't, well, I don't I mean, have kids. I don't have kids, but I'm planning on it. So. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, oh, the, 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 the tortilla is a magic circle. There you go. <laughs> We're in there already. <laughs> no, you got to get a, a little, a little like branding press that just stamps the Solomonic seal on it. <laughs> yeah, it like chars it on the one side. <laughs> Build the taco on top of the seal. This is okay. This is beautiful. And it's also making me really hungry. And I think we've been on here for like two and a half, almost three hours. Oh my God. Yeah. Three out over three hours almost. So right. yeah, I think might be a good time to call it, but, uh, but damn, cool. this, well, has thanks, been, guys. this has been so fun. And uh, yeah, I, I never expected such a full and in-depth and insightful treatment of the Incredibles. Like this has been so much, I had, I had 10 times more fun talking about this with you than i did watching the movie like i enjoyed <laughs> it. i had fun watching it but this was a blast like this is so cool <laughs> Word. thanks for coming yeah well thanks for taking the trip i know that uh i know that you you were side-eyeing it when i first mentioned it but but i'm glad that we were that you took the trip and that you were you were pleased with the outcome hell yeah this is it's a show about experiences and like i said like if i said no to this show because it's a movie because like i didn't feel into it that would kind of be then maybe we would be propaganda i don't know <laughs> sure yeah, yeah yeah there's that <laughs> cool well thanks man um yeah if you got anything else you want to say or plug real quick you're welcome to it um yeah if you go to zambonifong.com you'll see all the stuff that's the hub for everything you'll find the podcast there you'll find the music you'll find uh astrology readings you'll find all of the free stuff that i do um you'll find it all there oh yeah and by the time this comes out his will have come out already because this will be a thursday mm -hmm. so. what is the time is what it's called nice nice and we have to have you <laughs> back to talk about ursula yeah yeah we will uh, love that we'll pick a one that's not too long like something reasonable to read in a, in a week if we have lives and uh and then yeah maybe we can do the lathe of heaven time. it's like 100 pages 150. That, that sounds great. I have her complete works. I just haven't really dug into them yet. So um, we're ready to go maybe a month or something like that. Cool. Yeah, we'll reach out. Yeah, dig it. All right. Thanks so much, man. It's been real. It's, it's been, been awesome. Later. Cool. Okay. Um, so I, I'll. You're still recording? Yeah, that's fine. I've, okay. There's the magic of editing. <laughs> Thank you